Once upon a morning, there was a freshly brewed McCafe coffee. It was made with 100% Arabica beans, yet something was missing. Fear not, in the distance, a sausage McMuffin with egg rides toward the sunrise in quest for breakfast. The perfect pair met at McDonald's, and mornings were happy forever after. Right now, get a $1 small coffee and a $2 sausage McMuffin with egg from the $1-2-3 menu. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. The Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. Final show in the first season of Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Uh, drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Lewis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. So this week, we're finally going for the throat. After kicking things off back in June with fellow gr- Italian grindhouse legend Dario Argento and winning our way such, through such cult luminaries as Jess Franco, Paul Nashi, and Joe D'Amato, we're finally bringing you the show you've all been waiting for. This is where we take on the infamous Lucio Fulci. The undisputed king of 80s zombie films and co-leader of the Italian extreme cinema movement, Fulci was actually quite a complex character with roots in the industry dating back to the 1950s. Moving on from Franco and Ciccio comedies, Jack London knockoffs, early giallos, and particularly angry, bloodthirsty takes on the Western, Fulci at last came into his own with a series of controversially extreme, logic-defying, metaphysical meditations on death and the unfairness of existence, Buried beneath wild set pieces of undead mayhem and a level of blood-splattering grues seldom have ever seen to that time. Beloved by death metal bands, grindhouse patrons, and video hounds alike, Fulci came into his own with the dawn of the DVD revolution, where his efforts were shown in a proper aspect ratio, uncut and restored to their original cinematic intent at last. Is he the hack some still claim? Or is there something more enduring than a mere tip of the hat to Lovecraftian ethos and the films of George Romero to be found in his work? Join us as we delve tonight and deep into the mysteries of cult film history, only here on Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine. And as he's already here, I present the Maven of Sleaze. <laughs> you know, my wife was saying, maybe you should make it like, you know, a litter of like we always try to. Like, oh, okay, make it like the salt and the sleaze. Like, no, 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 it worked out too well that time with the Maven of Sleaze. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm even more sleazier after last night. Uh, <laughs> Why? What happened last I, night? Yeah. Well, no, no. Those who don't know, I, I, I was interviewed about a year ago uh, by Robin Boogie, who did the graphic thrills book, the Triple uh, X movie poster book. Right. And uh, so he interviewed me for a project and uh, about Times Square and. Uh, uh, me going to the movies, 
and I forgot about it. And I didn't know that he had put that interview in portions in his new book. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I got the book in the mail last night, and you open it up like, ooh, there it is. Wow. So, yes, I'm even more sleazy tonight. <laughs> so he, this interview was what? Because you were old enough and local enough to have been going to the, the porno theaters back in the day? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I have really good memories. Uh, 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 not just that, but, you know, uh, the, the unusual triple bills, Euro crime, horror. Uh, I remember the theaters well. And... Uh, I was very honest and forthright, and uh, unfortunately, it's in print. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful book, though, and uh, and uh, yeah, I was just amazed, and I, I I forgot what I said, and I said, oh shit. So, yeah, the the Maven of Sleaze strikes again. <laughs> I am actually surprised because you know, usually when they go for these kind of things, they're like, okay, I'll get somebody who was a porn star, or I'll get somebody who was a director that had films playing there, or I'll get somebody who ran one of those theaters. You know, uh, try to find somebody who knew, uh, you know, Butchie there from <laughs> from yeah. uh, whatever, whatever the film was, uh, Bryanson film. Uh, um, you know that sort of a thing. But you know, just picking somebody who, as far as I know, I, I don't oh, think. Oh yeah, I know what you it. mean. Entire, I know what you mean entirely. Uh, um, I guess with Bill Landis dead, uh, you know, bes- beside uh, beside Pete. Uh, yeah, Forty Second Street Pete. That's about it. That's left. But yeah, beside Forty Second Street Pete, uh, there's not many of us left. And and I frequented the theaters a lot for the art. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's that's what that is. Actually, so yes, tonight is our Fulci show. Long time coming. Yeah. And. Um, you did uh, fantastic with that monologue opening up. You you pretty much got it all out there. Um, the only thing I really wanted to add to that um, was that Fulci, Fulci uh, went to uh, the school that was uh, started by Mussolini. <laughs> Benito Mussolini, yes. It was uh, the Central Sperimentale Italiano or something. And a lot of people uh, got their start. Well, didn't Morricone come out of there in terms of the music? Yes, 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 yes. Wow. yes. A lot of people did. And um, it was, uh, you know, whether you were a sculptor or you were a painter or you had interest. Uh, you know, Mussolini en- encouraged documentaries. That was his big thing. He had a big love of the arts. He was a, He had a huge ego. Yeah. And so uh, Fulci actually learned a lot of his craft there, um, which is why you might find a, a lot of his early, uh, between 48 and 50, actually, he, he, had, he had worked on a number of documentaries, which is, which is really interesting. And uh, think so. about that fact you just mentioned, and it's true. Uh, you know, I was a history minor, so I do know a lot of this kind of stuff that you're throwing out there. Uh, but Mussolini... Uh, was a fan, like you said, of documentaries and whatever the hell else. And yet, when people think in terms of like neorealism, it's usually associated with the left. I mean, it's, it's more of a um, almost a communist thing. So, yeah, sure. here you go. And it's, I hate to say started by, but 
the same spirit is being found on the far right. So, you know, to me, that, that kind of just circles back with things we say a lot on that level where you go far enough out to the left, you go far enough out to the right, and the insanity sort of meets. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I believe uh, – I don't think I'm incorrect here. I think Rosalini also went to this this uh, this school studio gigantic like Chinchetta. It was this gigantic right. warehouse structure where things got done. Um and look at look at Rosalini, you know, uh, neorealism. You know? Exactly, that's what I was talking about. I'm like, you associate yeah. that with the far left, and yet it started by Mussolini, more or less. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I guess if we look at it this way, these people are artists, firstly, and so uh, you're going to adapt to get in, learn, and then once you, you got what you needed, you go do your thing, Yeah. Yeah, but you could also say, you know, we were just talking about the decadence uh, the other week. And, you know, even though it's not French decadence, you know, in, in terms of more of a global thing, one of the big names that pops up is Gabriel D'Annunzio. And anybody who knows anything about D'Annunzio is, you know, not only was he a vainglorious, you know, would-be war hero and whatever else, probably showing off his scars and everything and big hit with the ladies and whatever, but – he was also very much a nationalist, if not fascist, and mm-hmm. uh, was very much on the wrong side of that uh, political fence during the war, right, uh, which right. is kind of why his books fell out of favor for so long. Uh, and those who have not read, they actually put out uh, – if you had read my journal of decadence, I had complained about this horrible, horrible, boulderized uh, translation of one of his uh, most famous books, which came over here as Child of Pleasure was the version I read. But you'll see it a lot of times, and it's always the same Georgina – I forget her name, but it was like 1920. This girl had done this um, uh, translation, if you will, and mm-hmm. because she was such a puritanical, uptight you know, uh, school mom, basically, she took all the good parts out. So the book was like, well, what's the point of this? Why is this considered like you know, an erotic, decadent book? It's just crap. Uh, you know, it's like he's thrilling over the, the kiss of a hand and like all that kind of stuff. Get the fuck out of here. So <laughs> finally, finally, you know, well after I published my article, somebody listened and put out a new translation of this book. Apparently he was like a high school or college Italian professor. And he was like, he had his students reading the book in the original Italian saying, look, this is the difference. Um and I guess it was popular enough or he'd been doing it long enough that he says, you know what, why don't we just kind of put this out there and publish it? So there is a book, this version, the same book that I had complained about, this Child of Pleasure or whatever, is out there now just under the title, I believe, of Pleasure. And um, I forget the company that put it out, but it's, it's the one that usually puts out, uh, if you go into like Barnes & Noble, you find the old classics and they're relatively cheap and usually annotated well. Uh, it's them. It's not Penguin, or maybe it is Penguin. I don't know. One of those uh, the usual companies that you will see. But it's well worth seeking out uh, if you are into uh, Decadence and Denunzio because the everywhere else you're going to look, you can find the same book, and it'll be that same damn boulderized translation. This is the only one that was like, okay, yeah, there you go. Now I see why they made a big deal of Denunzio. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, way off topic. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it, we're here to educate as well as entertain. Yeah, uh, I, I you know if we had more space during the French uh, show the other week, I could have really gone into all my favorite French deck. And it's like uh, we we had actually mentioned him on air, didn't we? We were talking about uh, yours, Carlos Ma. I thought we mentioned yes. him on one of the previous shows. Yeah, uh, but 
I just love all that stuff. I mean, it's just it's, some of that stuff's fantastic. Bring out Rushield and um, who's the fella, uh, Gautier. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, people talk about him. He's a romantic, but yeah, once he's romantic, symbolist, decadent, it all kind of flows into each other. Uh, well, there there was a lot to chew on in that show, so maybe one day in the future we might do a uh, follow up. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, uh, anyway, we're really here to talk about Lucio Fulci. So, um, just to, you know, I think a lot of people are familiar with him and his history at this point, but he was another one that started out as a critic. Um, I believe he was actually an art critic instead of a film critic. You know, usually you get people like Truffaut or Argento where they are film critics, and then maybe like Roger Ebert, they start scripting, uh, or Argento for that matter. Uh, for films, and then somehow they just cross the line and become a director and you know a tourist themselves. Uh, that did, is not the case with Fulci. Fulci was an art critic, uh, so it's almost like it's coming out of left field. But you can kind of see, given his once we get into his more metaphysical works, the painterly touch he adds to these scenes. I mean, and the fact that the films make no fucking sense on a certain level also plays into that. Like, okay, well, yeah, this is an artistic thing. He's, he's looking at it through an artist's eye. So it does come out in the end. But on the surface, level, will be like, art critic, director, and hold on. Now, now he starts off, and he's doing what? A whole hell of a lot of Franco and Chicho comments. Uh, those, <laughs> those of you who are... Uh, well, they were very, very popular. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, I, yeah. Um, uh, Franco, Frankie, and Chicho and Gracia, uh, right. they were making comedies before Lucio even worked with these guys working on scripts. And I think by the time the last one was made, possibly uh, 75. Yeah, it was pretty uh, late. I think they made at least 70 films. Can you imagine? Seven zero. Yep. 70 films. Um, and, you know, uh, somebody had asked me off air last week because they knew the show was coming up. And they said, how am I going to describe these guys? It's a <laughs> Italian. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, this happened. Ita- uh, this is for you, John. Uh, Italian. Uh, okay, so you... you the, the closest you can get is, okay, we know Martin and Lewis, Dean Martin and Jerry right. Lewis, at their height, uh, late 50s, um, before the breakup separated them. So that's about the closest you can get. Uh, one was the manic, impish, doing the Jerry Lewis shtick. Yep. The other one was the tall, thin, mustachioed, he wanted to be suave, but he but he looked like nah. your sleazy uncle, <laughs> and he wanted to be debonair, but no, he looked too creepy. Yeah, um, their comedy was extremely broad. It was extremely sometimes infantile. Yes, um, but they always got the girls. They got the hottest girls: uh, Elkie Summer, Rosal Boneri. Um I mean, the, the every major. Uh, Italian hottie that would appear in peplums and then horror films and thrillers all the way into the seventies. They they were in these Franco and Ciccio pictures. You know, it's actually kind of prescient that you said that. You know, great minds think alike because the two examples I was going to give on you know, Franco and Ciccio, what they would be like for anybody who is you know familiar at all with Italian cult film of of all types. 
mm-hmm. because the first place I encountered him wasn't even in one of their own comedies necessarily. It was in that Jane Mansfield Mondo they were in. What was that? Was that Primitive Love or was that? Uh, yeah, no. Primitive Love. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and they are kind of a cross between, like you said, Martin and Lewis. Um, a little bit even more so, Duke Mitchell and Sammy Petrillo, the Martin Lewis knockoffs, which Jerry Lewis actually sued to keep Sammy Petrillo from you know, performing because he was so much like him, uh, and Abbott and Costello. Uh, because, you know, it wasn't just the, like you said, the Jerry Lewis, and being there trying to be all suave and you know getting the ladies or whatever. It was more of, like you said, the sleazy guy that was trying to be a straight man but couldn't quite pull it off, which is very much Bud Abbott. Uh, and this little dumpy, not necessarily fat, but he was definitely dumpy, short and squat. Uh, you know, more manic, like you said, uh, goofy, the the more of the figure of fun. But unlike, like Luke Costello, for example, but unlike any of those other teams we mentioned, they were very um, slapsticky, and I don't just mean that in the the level of like the Three Stooges, uh, but very, very physical and very crass. I mean, and you know, we watch all these cult films, so you know, I'm I'm inured to this stuff. I enjoy yeah. those freaking Pierino comedies, for God's sakes. You know, <laughs> you know, the, what, what are those things? Um, Desirable okay. Teacher and all that there crap. You go. Yeah. You know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Vitali there. Uh, I can't remember his first name. Uh, and he was, he actually got discovered by, of all people, Frederico Fellini, and he had him in films like Amarcord. Uh and then he started doing these ridiculous Pierino comedies where he was basically like, uh, I don't know, you could describe him as an Adam Sandler, but I didn't find him anywhere near as annoying as Adam Sandler. Uh, but, you know, he's supposed to be an <laughs> overgrown adult that's still you know stuck in grammar school and you know, doing fart jokes and look up teachers' dresses and whatever. I still get a kick out of him. My wife hates this shit. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you get something like Franco and Chichi, and I'm sitting there like, wow, these guys were really that popular, huh? <laughs> And they were, like you said, they, it was a huge, huge thing in Italy. Uh, you know, families, the poor families, everything, they would go out there, and yeah, they would always hang around the cinemas anyway. Sometimes they weren't even watching. They'd just go there to talk to their friends or, you know, do a business deal or, you know, pick up a chick or whatever the hell, you know, sip coffee on a Saturday afternoon while the play, movie's playing. But it's fucking Franco and Chicho comedies. They love them. And it is kind of like the symbol of when people talk about Italian comedies and how they're really lowbrow compared to um, – yeah. I don't even want to say compared to a lot of countries because you see a lot of the Chinese ones. They're just as bad. You know, it's you get com- uh, comedies from poorer countries, and they're always kind of slapsticky and lowbrow. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, who's that guy that did Shaolin Soccer? My wife loves him. The, oh, so Stephen oh. – Stephen – Stephen uh, Chow. Stephen oh, Chow, yeah. She loves him. I'm like, wow, this is painful. This is, you know, I'm watching the three studios and I'm having trouble watching Stephen Chow. Uh, so picture the fact that I can sit through a Stephen Chow film. I have troubles in through Franco and Chicho. Uh, well, there's about three Franco and Chicho. Well, I've seen a lot more than three. Yes, I admit it. There's about three Franco and Chicho. Which How are, drunk uh, were you when you were watching them? <laughs> no, you can't be drunk when you watch these things. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll fall asleep. Um, <laughs> because usually I would watch. I mean, these movies are not subtitled. They're they're very hard to find. Number one, um, uh, the Doctor Goldfit. They're in that. Yes, Remember? they're Doctor Goldfit. Surprised? You're right, Mario Bava, and we'll be talking about him in a couple of weeks. Unbelievable. Yeah. Once again, hard to watch just because of that. Well, not just because of that. that movie's pretty bad. Period. But. Uh, 
again, you see them in there like, it's freaking Franco and Chi-Chi. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it almost like an instant thing of, yeah, on one level, it's a cult thing. Like, you appreciate like, oh, my God, look who's there. And the other side, you're like, oh, my God, really? They're there? No. <laughs> Please don't keep my stream long. <laughs> Yeah, uh, then the James Bond knockoff, uh, which actually came out over here. Um, I forgot the damn title. And uh, Operation Moon was another one, but that didn't come out here. But those are are tolerable. Oh, OK Connery, that's the one you're thinking of, right? Wasn't that theirs? No. No, that's not that. Those damn Euro spies, I can't remember. (laughs) No, uh, Oh My Lovely Secret Agent or something. The original title was 002 Agente Secretisme at 64. But uh, anyway, and he didn't just do Frank Mochichi. I'm just getting way back here from all this stuff to Fulci. Uh, 20 minutes into the show. Uh, (laughs) This is why you listen to us, folks. Um, He also did comedies for other broad Italian comedians like Toto. Oh, totally, uh, yeah, the total films, yeah. And who were you going to say? You're, you said somebody else, Pepino? No, uh, uh, Stino Vanzini, who uh, uh, Fulci wrote for him, too, and he, he also made comedies. Fulci wrote the Chris Lee movie, Uncle Was a Vampire. <laughs> really? Uh, yes. <laughs> I didn't even know that one. Uh, uh, okay, so... Anyway, he did these things for years, and let's see, was it from like 1953 to 60, I don't know what, 66 or so, he was doing these or comedies. Or a little later, almost, yeah. Almost exclusively, though, during this period. Um, one is actually out on DVD here, if anybody wants to check it out. And by the way, yes, it does feature Franco and Chichi in it, although it's kind of a small part, thank God, uh, which is The Maniacs. Uh, right. And it's of interest to people who are into cult film, not just because it's Fulci, uh, and not just because, okay, if you want to see Franco and Chichi for a laugh, uh, or the fact that Margaret Lee, who was in Circus of Fear during Great 1970, Slaughter Hotel and the Bloody Judges in it, uh, and, you know, you got other people that you might recognize, Lisa Gastoni, Enrico Melia Salerno, you know, these are names that pop up when you're really into Italian cult film. There's a big but one, too. Barbara Steele, that's why yeah. people might want to see this, and actually, that was one of the reasons I picked it up. It's actually pretty good. There's, um... It's one of those portmanteau films, you know, they've got like three segments or whatever, or four segments. Yeah. And you know, it's basically, you know, typical Italian sex comedy of the period. Uh but, you know, it was because it had Barbara Steele in it, because it has Margaret Lee in it, uh, and of course it had Frank Riccio, it may be worth checking out depending on how your tastes run. Uh but you know, I'm somebody that enjoys some of these Italian comedies. I've definitely gotten, you know, a fair amount of those crappy Mias and uh or Maya or whatever the hell they call themselves, the bootleg company. Uh I certainly enjoyed the school teacher films with uh, Edward Fennick, uh and the policewoman films and uh what, what was that one? Uh, Chichabamba there, uh Fatty Girl Goes to New York, uh oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. films, you know. This stuff I get a kick out. I sit there and laugh. My wife was like, why are you watching this shit? This is so, you know, the utter crap to her. Ouch. Uh, but, you know, I get, I actually will sit there and laugh out loud, which I don't do too often. Uh, so I do enjoy Italian comedy. So me recommending The Maniacs, take that into consideration. You may, you may want to avoid it like the plague. Uh, but anyway, he's still going on. He does uh, – there's the one you were talking about, uh, Operation Moon, uh, which, yeah. again, Frank on Chicha. Uh, 66 now, all of a sudden, he makes a slight switch. And in the middle of these comedies, he starts doing westerns, or at least, you know, his first one or two. 
one of them is, you know, the man who killed Billy the Kid. You know, who the hell knows? Nobody's seen it. It doesn't mean anything. But the one that everybody will probably know is Massacre Time. Uh, it was actually written by, of all people, Fernando DeLeo, who was very big on when it came to Italian crime films. And we'll be dealing with that in a couple of weeks. Um, but people that are in it, one of the reasons that people were like, oh, let's check this out. Okay, it's a Fulci. It's his first Western, or the few that he did. Uh, it's got Franco Nero in it. It's got George Hilton in it, who was a big Jalo uh, protagonist or antagonist. Uh, you know, I did not like it. I, I'm not a fan of Fulci's Westerns, i got to admit that right off the bat. Uh, and this one was... You know, I watch a lot of spaghetti Westerns, and there are certain ones that really like you know they're very gothic. They're very like oh yeah, it's totally like like a lot of the Stranger films with Tony Anthony, fantastic shit. Um, you get to the bigger names, you know the the, the Sergio Salamas, the um, you know uh, uh, now I'm losing his name even that's how bad this is. Uh, the, the fellow that everybody loves, <laughs> you know uh, Once Upon a Time in the West that. Uh, you oh, know, a few dollars more. Sergio Leone, you're right, exactly. You know, these kind of directors, these kind of films, they really stand out. You used to watch something like Kaoma or Menage or whatever. Great. Then there's a whole bunch of others that people may praise to high heaven, and I'm just like, that sucked. Uh, like, I actually just saw one the other day. It's one of those political westerns that they just put out. I think, I don't know if it was Arrow put it out or if it was Kino, uh, but one of the recent spaghetti westerns that just came out, and everybody's like, oh, yes, this is one of the greatest westerns ever made, one of the greatest spaghetti westerns. I was like, oh, yeah. Wow, why did I waste my fucking money yeah. on this thing? It's horrible. And, you know, wow. yeah, I love spaghetti westerns. So, you know, there's this is kind of in that. Uh, field of everybody talks about oh yeah massacre time oh massacre time yeah put up massacre time again piece of shit dude please well i wouldn't go that far i think it's a lover to hate it kind of movie yeah it definitely doesn't have the the weight of uh, uh let's say the, the most right right it doesn't have the weight of that film for example but it doesn't have the weight of the the beloved really good like django django oh, yeah. Oh, some of those Django films are great. Yeah, it doesn't have that. Yeah, of course. But it's it's not... I wouldn't say it's horrible, and I wouldn't say it's a piece of shit. I just think it's... it's Those things were very popular at that time. So, yeah, yeah his was a little mean-spirited, hence yes. a lot of them do tend to go that way. Um, not as bad as the one with Klaus and what the hell... Oh, The Great Silence. Uh, that's... Pretty, it's pretty yeah, there. that's a dark one, but I like that one because it's atmospheric, and yeah. it actually uh, it's a more meaty role for Klaus. He puts more of his whatever vindictiveness in. You know, he was paying attention for a change. Let's put it that way. Uh, and you know, I think it was Romanetta McGee, very pretty black girl in there. And you know, Jean Louis Trompignon, what the fuck is he doing in a western? As a but it works. Uh, it works. But it works. It, I really enjoyed it. The snowy landscape, the whole deal. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Fulci's westerns were as nasty and mean-spirited as his uh, one or two gangster films he did later on. Yeah. We'll get to that shortly. Yeah, but will. not yeah. as entertaining. But not as entertaining. So, uh, once again, I'm not a big fan of his westerns, but especially not sure. this one. Um, so then he's, you know, again, a couple of films that, you know, who cares? It probably never even came over here. He does Double Face. Which I don't think it's over here uh, officially. No, that's but, the Ricardo Freda. That, exactly. He actually uh, contributed to that. 
He wrote the plot on this yeah. damn thing, right? Uh, but so Kiki, yeah. Margaret Lee, Al Sarno's in it, apparently. And that was another one of those things we were talking about with the Franco films, where they had hardcore inserts from another country that weren't necessarily like, okay, who filmed it? When did they come in? When the, you know, how real are they, or how integral are they to the plot? That sort of a thing. Uh, but nonetheless, they're there. Um, Liz and Helen is another name you might remember for from from the uh, gray market days. It was a French version, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, but his next actual film that everybody pays attention to is right now it's on DVD as Perversion Story, but it was usually known as One on Top of the Other. Uh, Jean Sorel's in it, who again popped up in a lot of French and Italian crime films. Uh, Marissa Bell, who was a very pretty girl that popped up in a lot of these things until she, I think she got involved with drugs and porn and God knows what the hell else. But uh, in the early part of her career, you know, she was in things like Diabolic and everything. Like, Ooh, Marissa Bell. Um, Elsa Martinelli's in this, who was in uh, Vadim's Blood and Roses for one. Uh, John Ireland popped up. Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did see Marissa Mel porn, too. Did you? Okay. <laughs> uh, well, there you go, Maven Fleas. Uh, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yes, that happened. But John Ireland, to me, will always be House of Seven Corpses. I said I wanted a trance, not an orgasm. You know? <laughs> yeah, this is... Uh, every time I see him, that's what I see. So I'm amused to see him in this film. Uh You know, it's... Everybody says, oh, yeah, it's an early Jalo, and it's so great. Well... All right, I'm not going to give away the plot, obviously, because I'm not into that sort of thing. But plus, you know, you don't want to ruin it for everybody that doesn't, you know, wants to see the damn thing. But it involves um, dual roles and a guy who thinks he's being slick, but he's really kind of getting screwed around by his wife and so on and so forth. Uh, he gets involved with strippers, and it's it's typical Jalo territory. But there's nothing that Jalo-esque about it because. Jalo is usually quite perverse and quite violent, and there's usually some psychological thing going on. Uh, you know, people come up with these edible traumas, or you know, some weird thing happened in their childhood with some like molesting priest or whatever the hell, and then they become a killer. And then there's like lots of twists and turns, and everybody in the plot is indicted because everybody's kind of sleazy and guilty, and who's really the the bad guy, or are they all bad? And you know, all this kind of stuff goes down. Well, uh, that's well, not really the case here. No, no, but it's still quite convoluted. It's, yeah, it's convoluted, know. but it's not that. It doesn't feel like a Jalo to me. It feels like it's aping elements of the Jalo, but yeah. it's almost like saying, okay, well, let's go and make a Jalo, and then you wind up with a Mission Impossible. Well, yeah, there's a lot of twists and turns in there, and it doesn't make any fucking sense, but it doesn't mean it's any, you know, it's not a Jalo. It's, it's just somebody wrote a convoluted plot. Um, well, you know, I saw this movie called The Sweet Body of Deborah. Which oh, yeah. Sorrell, Jean Sorrell is also in. Uh, Carol Baker was in that. And yep. they are very similar. Uh, the guy who directed that was Romolo Guerrero. Right. Oh, very good. Yeah. And so I think, in a way, maybe this was Fulci's. Maybe, you know, like Argento looked at Hitchcock. Yeah. Maybe Fulci really was enamored of this particular movie, which is only like a year or two previous. Um, yes. He decided to like redress that, you know, and make it different and but the same. That may be part of the problem for me because when it came to the Carol Baker Jalos, a lot of people consider her like one of the early queens of Jalo. 
I just don't like her. She was already kind of old and milfy, uh, but she had this kind of, I mean, yeah, you would get her in certain ones where she was like almost taking her clothes off, like half undressed or whatever, but she always came off like a Sandra D to me. Like she was always kind of prudish and, oh yeah, what am I doing here? I'm just kind of slumming and let me look sad and pathetic and I'm the bored and lonely housewife that's going to get taken advantage of. I think the best film I ever saw her in was the one that Lindsay did. Um, what was it called? Oasis of Fear, I think, with the, with the two Ray Lovelock and his girlfriend go there and uh, they wind up in the house with her and they basically wind up having these crazy orgies and stuff with it, but it's it's just to rip her off because they're running away from the law from selling like dirty pictures. And, and that was one of the titles of it, I think, Dirty Pictures. Oh, yeah, right, Dirty uh, Pictures. Yeah, that, you know what? That was a good one, but... I thought her best... I thought her best one was the one where she plays Mute. Which one was uh, that? Uh, oh, that also, Orgasmo, the, was? Yeah, it was either Spasm or Orgasmo, wasn't it? I think it was, yeah, I think it was, and yeah. and she plays mute because uh, she had a traumatic thing happen to her, mm-hmm. and of course people start get off, and then of course near the end of the movie there's a great big flashback that like, oh shit, this is why she's mute, you know, right, and she's the killer, yeah, yeah, it's okay, it's <laughs> all, but uh, um, yeah, I thought that was her best picture ever. I still, like I said, I just don't care for her in these films. I didn't think. No, no, I'm not a huge fan either. She's strange, but but uh, so anyway, uh, my point on this film was like, eh, it it felt like one of those. I I didn't really care for it that much. But everybody thinks it's you know, oh yes, it's so great. We got to see one top of the other. Our perversion story. Oh great, it's Fulci's best Jalo. Oh please. It's it's boring, uh, except for the presence of Marissa Mel. Is, that's really kind of all that saves it. Uh, it's got a decent soundtrack, though, I'll say that. Um, so after this, he did one that he considered his favorite film, which I always thought was strange, uh, Beatrice Sensi, The Conspiracy of Torture. Uh, and there's a girl in it, Adrian LaRussa. I don't know if she ever did anything else in her entire career, but I saw her on... Um, your pal there, Mike Baronis, did that disc of uh, Fulci interviews. I guess it was supposed right. to be used, him doing a book, and he never did the book. So he put all his interviews with all these people, and it was like comprehensive, like weirdly comprehensive. Like, okay, let me talk to anybody that was ever, you know, even like the, the lowest rung of the, the tech guys, one of the Foley's on a Fulci production in 1964, and he would do like a two-minute interview with them. And one of the people was her. And she was just like, I don't even know what to say about this guy. You know, it was a horrible experience. He was a horrible man, you know, whatever. I'm like, okay. Uh, And it was actually, it stood out of all the interviews that they had. Even the the people that liked him least were, you know, somewhat like, okay, well, you know, it was a long time ago, whatever. Yeah, she was just like, basically like, fuck this guy. (laughs) So that says something. Uh, and Thomas Millian's in it, who was in a lot of uh, Jollos and crime films, actually more crime films and westerns uh, from the period. Uh, but nothing much to say about it. It's kind of a historical, boring drama. I think uh, they decide she's a witch and burn her at the stake at the end. I, was just, I actually fell asleep watching it. It was that boring. Um, so after this, he finally starts doing films that are watchable. So his first one is Lizard and Woman's Skin. 
again, people you know give it more credit than it deserves, but I kind of like this one at least. Uh, it was one of the earlier Jollos I had seen, and while it's hardly in my top even forty, it's you know it's, it's not bad. Um, the Balkans in it, who was. Uh, she shows up later more memorably in another one of his films, Don't Touch Her a Duckling. And also she was in that fucking Flavi the Heretic that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, yeah. But Lizard in a Woman's Skin was not bad. Uh, she's in it. Jean Sorel's in it again. Leo Gen is in it. Uh, those of you who know your British uh, horror cinema. Uh, I just remember him from, what was it, Die Screaming Marianne. <laughs> uh, Stanley Baker's in this thing, man. Anita Strindberg's in it. Uh yeah. You know, it's got a decent cast, and it is very much a Jawa. You watch this, you're like, oh, yeah, this is a Jawa. Whereas the other one, you can kind of argue it. No, there's nothing to argue here. Um, but he got in trouble over this movie, though. Yes. Do you want to tell why? Go ahead. Uh, well, uh, oh, man, I forgot who did the – oh, Carla Rambaldi, who did E.T. Carla uh, <laughs> Rambaldi did the special effects for – for Lucio, uh, minor things, minor things, and in uh, one sequence in this movie, Florinda has a hallucination. I won't go into details because that really will mess up the story for you. But, yes, it um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, but Florinda has a hallucination, and they are, uh, I think, it's a trio or a quartet of screaming dogs, yes. almost upright with their stomachs. Slid open and the entrails. Yes. It, it's a grotesque image. You know it's not real, but it's just a way to stylize that. And it's brief. It is brief. But yes. um, they, the, the censors thought it was real. And yep. he, he got into some trouble over this. And um, they actually, um, the story goes uh, that Carla Rambaldi had to drag into court some of the prop so yep. that they can exonerate themselves. And I'm sure that must have been a wild scene. Okay, okay, it's fine. Case closed. <laughs> yeah. Which was the same thing that happened later to your favorite director, uh, Roger Diodato, when Yeah, uh, we all <laughs> That's actually why I made you tell the story. I'm like, okay, let's see how you handle this. <laughs> you heard how I was being coy about that. I'm like, hey, why don't you tell the story? <laughs> but it was the same thing where they had thought that he actually killed all those actors and actresses. And they had pretty much come out of hiding because they had him in hiding as a publicity stunt. Uh, and he was like, oh, yeah, by the way, here, we're still alive. Oh, okay. <laughs> So same thing here with Rambaldi and the the dog prop, um, but you know that's a very minor. I mean, if you're watching it, it'll be it'll shock you for sure because it is kind of gross. But it's, like you said, it's, it's on screen for what you know a couple of frames. You know, it's, it's a couple of yeah, seconds. Yeah, a couple of seconds. Yeah, uh, and it's part of a dream sequence and everything else. Like it's, uh, actually, some prints I've seen the the dream sequence that is like overcolored and it's like you know kind of washed out and hard to watch. I'm like, what is this crap? You know, it's got like um, almost like those uh, gel effects that used to get behind like the performances of the Jefferson Airplane or something back in the '60s. Right, <laughs> like, right, like, right. Like, I can't watch this. What's going on? Uh, so he then goes and does you know, basically like a Hercules film, you know, Hector the Mighty, and then he does another one of these um, comedies, but. It's uh, It came over here as the eroticist, uh, but it was really known, I believe, as the senator likes women. Uh, it's, 
you know, it's an Italian comedy. I did sort of get a kick out of it. It was basically more just mocking Italian politics at the time uh, because this guy is basically like a right-wing politician type. And, of course, he has this vivid, uh, possibly imaginary sex life where he goes around, you know, filling up nuns' asses and stuff. I mean, he really kind of screwed up and perverted and whatever. Oh, that, but, yeah, that was Lanto Bazzacca. Yes. Um who was another very popular Italian comedian at the time. And uh, Lando actually in the mid-60s did a, a trio of James Bond-type uh, movies called James Taunt, T-O-N-T. And uh, that guy, he was a singer, too. And that wow. kind of escalated his career a little bit. And then I guess he was more of a comedian back by the, uh, 10 years later. Right. And uh, so they... They threw him in this thing, and I don't know. I, I don't care for it at all. Uh, it's also got Lionel Stander, who was uh, thrown yeah. out of this country and blacklisted. He's one of the, many of these actors uh, from this time period were blacklisted actors under McCarthyism, and they wound up over in Italy and Europe making you know spy films or whatever the hell else. And in some cases, they came back here later on. So Lionel Stander was one of these people, and he came back here famously as Max on Heart to Heart, the uh, the yeah. lovable uh, chauffeur, if you will. Uh, hey, this is hot. Uh, Laura Antonelli's in it, who pops up in a lot of Italian uh, films of this period, uh, was a, definitely considered a sex symbol at the time. And Anita Strindberg is in there once again. Um, so it's, you know, again, if you like Italian comedies, it's worth checking out. Otherwise, you know, if you're just a Fulci fan and you just want to see what's going on, you probably, you know, I wouldn't even bother renting it because you probably won't like them. Um, the Italian comedy is kind of a quart taste. There's it's, no that's question true. about that's that. That's very true. Even the dub ones, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then he does what for many, many years was possibly my favorite Jalo and certainly my favorite pre-psychic uh, film from Fulci, uh, which is Don't Torture a Duckling. Uh, which It's actually really, uh, uh, what is it, Non Savizio Un Paparino, which is, it's really supposed to be Il Paparino. There's, there's no translation for duckling. It's supposed to be Donald Duck. And that's yeah. why they sort of got in, in trouble there. And I had a, I actually uh, gave it one time, I was, I was doing a joke card to a time friend of mine uh, for like Christmas or something. And I threw in a little line about like, you know, torturing Donald Duck. And that's what came up because he translated it properly. It's like, what, Donald Duck, what the hell is he have to do with anything? <laughs> uh -huh. I explained to him, oh no, this is a Jawa. Uh, but it's intense at times. I mean, certainly the uh, uncalled for horrific uh, brutality that these townies put on uh, Fernando Balcan, who's basically. She's kind of like the local strega, and she's just a, kind of this loony that hangs around out in the mountains and forages for food. And you know, maybe she'll come out and like curse people or whatever. Like, ah, see, I told you, you're going to burn in hell or whatever. And mm. they'll just kind of ignore her until these child murders start happening. And of course, they've got to have a target. You know, they got to point a finger, just like happens nowadays. And there you go. They go out there and pull out a bunch of tire, uh, you know, like like bikers have those chains, and start uh, basically a killer. And it's, and it's really brutal. Uh, that is hard to watch. It's for, no matter where you stand, unless you're one of these just total sickos like see people hurt. Uh, it's just like ooh ah, <laughs> you know, you yeah. walk away and you've got a feeling. But other than that, the film is fantastic. I mean, you've got Barbara Boucher at her sexiest, and we're. I'm going to include a muck in that, which is my second favorite of hers. Uh, 
Thomas Neil Young's in it again. Uh, Irene Pappas is in it, who pops up in some of these things. Uh, Mark Perel. It's definitely, you know, this is another theme you're going to see in a lot of Italian, especially giallos. Uh, they're very anti-clerical, very anti-Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, I don't know, I mean, it's a twisted film, but it's more kinky and, and screwed up than like, you know, okay, this is a sicko kind of thing, other than the scene we just described. Um, really atmospheric, really, you know, the the village is kind of on the top of a mountain and a bit isolated like you'll get in certain parts of Italy. Uh, so it really was kind of out in the country. I think Folsom's actual comments on it was like, well, you know, I just wanted to show how these country bumpkins are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that kind of a thing. It, it's almost like being down here and watching some of Deliverance, you know, those backward hicks. Same idea. He was saying like, yeah, you know, once you get out there, forget about it. You know, it's not the same. They're not civilized like us, uh, city folks. Uh, and, you know, there's a point to that because you'll see this kind of like violence erupt. I'm like, whoa! And then the, the finger pointing and the hysteria that happens, the mob sort of a thing. Uh, very, very dark, but very, very good if you're into Jalo's film. Um, and Rizzo Delani did the music, and this was actually kind of one of the first things where, kind of like you did in Cannibal Holocaust, you had these horrific events going on, and this really sweet, syrupy, kind of jaunty music going on in the background that you would think would be appropriate to, you know, a Summer's Eve commercial or something. Uh, and <laughs> here it is, in the middle of this, like, all these murders and whatever, like, okay, it, it's jarring. It's, it's just as disconnecting in its way as Argento's use of Goblin and this, you know, really blazing prog rock was in his jaws. It's like yeah. so... Uh, Disaffecting, like what the fuck is going on here? Wait, this doesn't jive. You know, two halves of your brain are fighting each other. So, uh, really good thing, really good movie. Um, so, is there anything you want to say about that before we move on to the next one? Or I didn't like it. I never have. Really? <laughs> yeah, I I can't put my finger on it. I never could, and it kind of bothered me for a brief period. Why I dislike this movie so much. Um, not for any of the reasons you could probably note, because uh, you described well the the positive things about it, but I never liked it. I I just felt it was a maybe a marking time movie. It's it's like I for me, I don't think it was successful at what he wanted to do, and um, but hey, that's my opinion. Of course, yeah. No, I'm just fascinated. I'm like, okay, well, watch this. <laughs> I want to hear. <laughs> it, yeah, we don't have enough time. <laughs> as, as we get close to the one hour point, yeah, we. It's. I can actually reasonably explain why, um, probably in person, but it just didn't really work for me. I could okay. probably leave it at that. So after this, he goes back, in a way, to not really westerns, but he does these White Fang movies. And some people that are, like, Fulci completists, like, oh, yeah, the White Fang films. Oh, we got to see them. I hope they come to DVD. You know, it's Jack London. Uh, my father loved adventure stuff. He was big on H. Ryder Haggard. He was big on all this kind of stuff that later on a lot of it passed to me. You know, Contiki was his favorite book, you know, the Heidelberg thing, where he went on a raft across the ocean to, you know, this kind of stuff. And yet, he always cursed out Jack London because, like, somehow he's always got to eat his fucking dog or, you know, 
<laughs> and it's true. If you read his books, like, oh, man, what's wrong with this guy? But, you know, oh, survivalist. Oh, yes, I'm a He-Man. I'm rugged. I'm going to survive no matter what. No, please. Uh, and I think they're actually making another Jack London-type movie. When we were in the movies this summer, they had some trailer that had, I don't know, some clown like that. In one of these kind of Jack London-type movies, it's like, oh, yes, survive. And he's fighting, you know, who knows, Indians and cavalry. Oh, no, that's Leonardo. Oh, Leonardo DiCaprio. There you go. And I'm like, who the fuck would want to see a Jack London movie? But who knows? People are screwed up. So. <laughs> and I don't even know if they called it a Jack well, London yeah, movie. Yeah, actually, was. I think it's called The Revenant. And I think yeah. it's uh, it's a remake of Man of the Wilderness, Richard Harris movie. Okay. Well, there you go, Richard Harris. Right away, I think of uh, Man Called Horse. Like, oh, another one. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, ah, really? Uh, <laughs> you can so, have a festival with that and a Diodato picture together. Yeah. Well, you know the, all these like torture porn shit there everybody loves nowadays. You know these uh, Eli Roth films and Saw and Hostel and all this crap. There you yeah. go. You, you just go back and watch this, you know Mako Horse and White Fangs crap was going on in the seventies. Uh, so it's not new, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so anyway, he did two of these films and you know whatever. If you like him, you like him. That's your problem. <laughs> but then uh, he did another western, and I think it was the best of his three westerns, uh, which was for the apocalypse. Now that's kind of modulated things to the best because it's gothic and atmospheric, uh, but it's still so mean spirited. I mean, the scene where the guy goes and shoves the, the sheriff's badge into the guy's bare chest. Oh, oh my God. I mean, it's just, it, it's a twisted movie. It's a very, very dark, uh, even for spaghetti westerns. Um, just nasty. Fabio Testi's in it, who was in lots of Euro crime films. Uh, Lynn Frederick, who was in what, films like No Blade of Grass, Vampire Circus, Phase 4, and Schizo for Pete Walker, who we'll be talking about in a couple of weeks. Uh... Michael J. Pollard, of all people. You know, you wouldn't expect to see him in a freaking Western, but there he is. Uh, oh, no, he's and, in a couple. He's in a couple. And he, he's a freak in real life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know he's a freak. <laughs> you can tell. Uh, Thomas Millian, who is also a big uh, crime person and a uh, spaghetti Western person, uh, in one of his typical roles is Chaco. He's always got some name like that, you know, Chaco. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Donald O'Brien is in this, which is bizarre. Run, Man, Run, Kaoma, Menage, Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals, Inglorious Bastards, Zombie Holocaust, Images in a Convent, Ghost House, Lisetta, you know, the Devil's Daughter for, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who did Del Amore, Del Amore, uh the church. Suave. Suave, right. yeah. Uh, you know, it's just, despite the cast, despite the gothicism, it's a hard film to watch. I just, yeah. oof. But, you know, of his westerns, is no question the best. Uh, there's not even a, a argument there. Um, and I think this is one of the early Blue Underground DVDs, too, wasn't it? I think yes, so. it was. Yeah, and yeah. if I'm not mistaken, this was actually the first time he used Sergio Salvati for cinematography. And oh. Salvati was like Stivaletti with Argento. Most of the famous, or the most famous, Fulci films that you're like, oh yeah, these are good ones, and it really looks beautiful, it's because he's working with these people. In Argento's case, Stivaletti was a big thing, but Sergio Salvati and uh, Lucio Fulci, it's like almost a perfect pairing. Like, okay, the two of them are together. If you like this kind of stuff, you're going to like it. It's going to look good. It's going to be sweet. Uh, and he did other things. He became the director de facto of Wax Mask, which we'll get to eventually. Uh, and he was in strange stuff like, you know, Puppet Master, 
uh, Spellcaster, which has still got to see its way to DVD. I really enjoyed that one. A bizarre film with Adam Ant, of all people. Uh, uh-huh. Ghoulies 2, uh, <laughs> Catacombs, Cellar Dweller, those were recently out. I reviewed those uh, on Third Eye about a couple years back. Uh, Crawl Space with Kinski, which was, I think, his last film. Uh, nasty little film. Uh, 1990, The Bronx Warriors, House by the Cemetery. Okay, well, this is all the ones he did for Fulci after that. Uh, but still, I mean, he was in a lot of stuff besides just Fulci, or directing stuff besides just Fulci. Um, so now he does one that I really wish would come out, uh, because I love Edward Fennec. And I love her sex comedies, and the stills I've seen from this one are smoking hot. Uh, La Pretura, uh, also known as The Magistrate, or My Sister-in-Law. It's got a Nico Fizdenko soundtrack, which those of you who collect the time soundtracks. And like I said, uh, Fennec's in it. And Fulci shows up as the gas station attendant. So <laughs> I would really love to see this one, but of course I have not. So, uh, I somebody... did. I, yeah, I did. I, uh, Luminous Film and Video Works, one of the uh, better, uh, are we referring them to as Gray Market? I think they're out of business yeah. now anyway. Yeah. You know, one, of the, one of the better Gray Market uh, joints out there. He, he actually subtitled his Italian prints. Um, it's okay. It's 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 a comedy. It's a light comedy. Um, you know, Fulci was obviously enamored with uh, just Edwige and her voluptuous figure, and uh, it's cute. I have nothing else positive to say. About it. <laughs> Well, I do, and like you said, Edwin Fennec and her voluptuous figure, uh, one of the most stunning women of her time, for sure. Yes, uh, yes. You know, I, there's a lot of women that I'm totally enamored of, but she is just mouth-dropping. I mean, it's just like, wow. Uh, and her eyes, too, her eyes. She had this, like, yeah. cat eyes. Yeah, yeah. You you could just see her face, or you could just see her body, and both would be gorgeous again together. It's like, whoa, yeah. hello. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she was a decent comedian. I mean, she popped up. Mm-hmm. Most that's most of what she did. She became known for Jalos. That's what people really recognize her for. And she's good there. But yes. you know, she's really a comedian. Um, and I have a lot of both, obviously. Uh, so then he finally does what most people consider to be his first, you know, the, the Fulci films. This is when he really gets into his you know, kids' stride, which is uh, Sete Note and Nero, uh, Five Notes in Black, The Psychic. Um, I've heard people complain about it many times. I always liked this film. It's definitely the closest thing you're going to get to what he was doing in 1980, 1981, that kind of a thing. Um, Jennifer O'Neill, who was actually a model over here, and I think she popped up in a couple of movies and TV movies and stuff at the time. Very pretty girl. Uh, smoked a little too much, but, you know. Uh, and I think she was actually used for stuff like hand commercials, like Paul Mall and crap like that, as well as, you know, just typical figure model things. Uh, she is the lead, and she does a respectable job, you know, especially for a model. Uh, John Yarko shows up in this, who was, uh, wasn't he Sartana? Uh, yeah, I, I always liked I, him, yeah. I love the Sartana films. Uh, yeah. You know, Mark Perel's in it again. Ida Gali, uh, who also you might recognize her as Evelyn Stewart, uh, yes. pops up in this. Uh, and the music, again, we're talking about going into the, uh, you know, when you think uh, Argento, you usually think, okay, well, it's probably Goblin. It's probably, you know, maybe Keith Emerson. When you think 
Fulci, nine times out of ten, you think of Fabio Fritzi. And this was actually his original trio that he was with, uh, Bizio Fritzi Tempera, who was more known for their uh, Italian cop films. Uh, but it's still really good, proggy, upbeat. Um, I guess proggy is the best way to say it. Uh, rock and roll, you know, synth-heavy, synth uh, complex drum beats, percussive uh, rock and roll. And, you know, it, it's a good soundtrack. There's really nothing else to say about that. Did uh, you know that Fritzy's touring America? Yes, I saw that. Yeah, but he's only playing like two shows, and and they're not around here. Yeah, I know. I saw that. That's why I didn't mention it. I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> yeah, how do you not York. play New York? I'm sorry, you you don't play New York. You play like Wisconsin and Denver. What the hell's that? That's the joke. I mean, my wife was like, oh look, the Pope's coming over here, but he's only hitting New York, Washington, and Pennsylvania. I was like, well, what the fuck's he in Pennsylvania for? You come over here if you can hit one spot, you hit New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But somehow he didn't. So anyway, uh, so then he does, I believe, the last of his western, Silver oh, Saddle. Wait, wait, wait. We okay. talked about Fabio Fritzi, and you went to the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we're talking about people that hit like only a city or two when they get here. Yeah, but I know. At least the Pope did the right one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, uh, you first. You know, well, I guess you could say that he's the Pope of rock and roll. And uh, so, Silver Saddle, uh, which is his, I believe, last western. Uh, I have no words to say about this one. Did you need to say Gemma, Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like uh, I I I actually like uh, Giuliano Gemma in ninety five percent of the films he's he's been in. Um, he's uh for uh for the uh, horror fans he's most famous for Tenebre. He plays a cop in that. Um, but uh, Giuliano, yeah yeah, he's spaghetti western. Not a huge spaghetti western guy, but decent enough presence. Um, so he has an amiable uh, presence. But he could also play against type as well. So that's interesting. Uh, but I kind of saw him on the level of a William Berger, maybe. 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 Yeah. yeah more better look at him. More handsome. Well, <laughs> but he didn't have as much presence. <laughs> right, there you go. Yeah, but this movie is a forgettable film. For, yeah. You know, I've seen it. What is it? Nine, uh, two, uh, 1993. I fucked up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, 2015, right? I've seen this movie about 10 times over the decades. And I've I've still not changed my opinion of it that it's okay. So, so I wish it was 1993. <laughs> so now that we're moving to 1994, uh, <laughs> 79, we come to uh, Zombie 2, otherwise yes. Zombie, or Zombie Flesh Eaters. Um Honestly, whatever I talk about with other Fulci films, some people say, oh, the Beyond is his best one or whatever. I always go right back to the zombie. It is no question my favorite of all zombie films. It is no question my favorite of all Fulci films. Mm -hmm. uh, it is one of my favorite Italian horror films. 
Uh, it's one of my favorite horror films per se. Uh, it has a soundtrack that is fucking amazing. Uh, and besides that, I actually have a neat bootleg uh, where I may, I maybe I sold it. I don't know, but whatever. Because uh, I, you know, I had so many of these damn soundtracks at one point in my life, and I still have a lot of them. But wow. Uh, I was a huge soundtrack collector, so I don't even know what I have and what I don't anymore. But I would think I still have this one, um, where it was mostly sound clips from the movie. So you will oh. hear like whole segments of the movie being played, and then they'll go into a song. Uh, I think it was because just they didn't have enough songs to go with it. So it was some, it was some like oh, German or Italian bootleg or something. But uh, really, really good stuff. I mean, the stuff that shows up on it, you'll still see in modern zombie movies. It's I hate that word iconic. It's such a yuppie thing. But, you know, you get to the point where people are copying it and referencing it so much that it's yeah. like, oh yeah, look, it's another zombie ripoff. Okay, there you are. Um, there's a reason that it was so popular. There's a reason that they had named just about every other freaking movie for, I don't know, maybe a decade as, you know, zombie four, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, uh, wait, let's make it three uh, again, you know, whatever. Because this film was really, it, not only did it gross really well, but it was one hell of a movie. And there's even some good disco songs in there. I think somebody named Lila Lee did that one that they play on the dock when, when the cop is investigating the uh, the yacht. Uh, all right, yeah. You know, it, it's good stuff. Everything that's played in, everything that's done in it, the weird, disjointed atmosphere, the quietness of it, the uh, footage that was pretty much guerrilla footage that Fulci took, not only of the New York Harbor, but... Oh, the, the Brooklyn Bridge? Yeah, <laughs> and well, the zombies walk across the Brooklyn Bridge in the dawning hours of the morning. And right. there's no question, you know, cars driving by, they didn't have a permit, so they just went up there and did it. And that happens a lot in these Italian films, especially when you get something like, you know, Camel Fear Rocks, or, you know, these kind of things. Um, you know, oh, zombies uh, that, that's what what's his name did in the Bronx with all those uh, um, apocalypse, apocalypse biker yep. movies, remember? Exactly, all that stuff, but... You know, when you got something like that, that is so obvious. Like, hey, wait a minute, somebody up there with about forty different extras shuffling around on top of the bridge with a camera. You know, yeah. you know the cops would be going to be running for that. Uh, and the fact that he got it and that it's so well shot. I mean, you can tell it's a handheld, but good lord, uh, it, it, it's not shaky cam. Let's put it that way. Um, Tisa Farrow's in it. I always liked her. I prefer her astronomically over her pretentious sister. Uh, pretty girl. Uh, Ian McCulloch's in it. <laughs> Met him. Great guy. Yeah, uh, very nice guy. Very nice guy. Richard Johnson, another one. Met him. I, I believe he must have passed on by now. He was kind of sick when I saw him. Uh, yeah, he, he just heart. passed recently, and I, I, I wasn't there to meet him, and I, I'm sorry I missed him. It was great because uh, I had just seen uh, Beyond the Door. And you know the child must be born, and he had such a great time. Like you know, just, he, he just kept wanting to say the lines over and over with me from the movie. Uh, so I had him sign that for me, just because it was you know it, it was the big joke there. Uh, but nice guy, uh, yeah. Al yeah, Iver, yeah. another nice okay. guy. Uh, I believe at the time he had some kind of uh, laryngitis or something, so he couldn't speak too much. But really friendly fella. Um, Aretta Gay was in this one Olga Kalatos uh, who a lot of people might recognize she's popped up in a lot of these films at the time it's just if you're going to see a zombie movie if you're going to see a Fulci film go there first you know, whatever you decide afterwards that's your own business but that's the one to go to and it actually doesn't, the one, 
Good. Yeah. Doesn't Olga have the most famous scene in this movie? <laughs> yeah, she does. Good Lord. Yeah. Oh, and it's the Nick Alexander uh, voice dubbing crew who they pop yeah. up in a lot of these kind of films, but if you'll recognize it because there's a warm tone to uh, the way they do things. It's it's like mm. the Peter Fernandez crew, uh, you know, the guys who did Speed Racer and all that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I interviewed Peter years ago. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. Yeah. But the Nick Alexander is even warmer. There's something about the the crew that he assembles that you just love to listen to the dubs. Um, And like I said, you know, it's well worth checking out first. If you're gonna, I'm gonna delve into Fulcher. I'm gonna delve into Zombie films. Go right for Zombie, and then see where you go from there. And oh, there's more people. Dakar. He, every time he pops up on a DVD, he just talks like two seconds in Spanish and sings songs. I don't know what that's all about. He's got like an acoustic guitar and he does like calypso or whatever. Uh, but you know, he Lucas. Lucas, nobody believed that they'd be dead. You know, there's really amusing lines in there. Um, Fulci himself pops up. He likes at this point. He starts doing like a Hitchcock. He's got pop up in just about every movie for a scene or two. Uh, he was like the news editor or whatever the hell, a grumpy news editor. Uh, and I think he's the one that sent. Was it Tisa or Ian? I, th- I think Tisa was the reporter, right? Uh, reporter, yeah. yeah. So he's the one that sent her onto the ship in the first place and got her in this mess. Octavian um, Delacqua, uh, who was one of four brothers who actually popped up in this, uh, Alberto, Roberto, and Alnaldo too. Uh, and he would be in things later on. Like, okay, he was always a stunt guy. But for some reason, they started giving these people roles, like lead roles. So he was in, what was it, Zombie 3, I think? He actually had on-screen roles. I know he did some Matei stuff. Uh, really nice guy. I met him in person, too. Um, you know, doesn't speak a hell of a lot of English, but enough to get by. And, you know, my limited Italian, we were kind of able to talk. And he's really, you know, I got a kick out of him. He's got a really good sense of humor about the whole thing. Um but again, just definitely one of my favorite films. And of course, you know, Fabio Fritti did the score. Um, after this, he did Contraband, which was his. Oh, wait, only... wait. Okay. Wait, wait, my co host. Don't you want my opinion of Zombie? <laughs> of course. Well, the last couple of times, you didn't want to throw anything in. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll just keep going. And when you want to speak, speak. No, but yeah, no, 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 no. No. Um, <laughs> um, I saw this movie. When it first came out in the U.S. in the theater, it was uh, released by, I think, the same company it released Dawn of the Dead, which may have been United Film Distributors, a real small, small company. And this played at a cavernous theater uh, in Broadway, not Times Square, but Broadway. It was called the United Artists Theater. I think it was 50th Street. So it was huge, huge screen. And I remember... You walked in the theater, and it's really sloped down. So I say, okay, it's big, it's huge, it's dark. This movie was so affecting. It's such a uh, 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 atmosphere. And, right. and uh, yeah, uh, that I really liked it. Um, it's really... I mean, people now, especially the younger people... I mean, we're talking uh, people who weren't able to see a lot of these movies on the big screen. I was able to see a lot of these things on the big screen. They have little idea. If they didn't see this when it first came out on the big screen, it's the first time you're seeing this. It's shocking. Totally shocking. And um, that that damn scene in the closet, it's ogre, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. it was. 
trying to get away, and she's in a closet, and she's holding the door from inside. You know, and the zombies shuffle in very slow. You know, this is Romero-esque, very slow shuffling. That was Lucio's uh, gig there. And they they bust the hand through, and they grab her, and they pull her close. It's huge. Was it seven, eight-inch shard of wood? Yeah. And it's like, oh, we're not going to go there. And like, click. Oh, and it takes him like three fucking minutes to get there. So the buildup is like it's worse than Hitchcock, where it's like okay, yeah. they've got you know the famous MacGuffin or whatever. He's got the bomb on the floor, and then they're gonna sit there and have a pleasant chat about anything else, and the audience is freaking out. The same yeah. thing. It's like holding it, and holding it, and holding it, and you. But she's there, screaming the entire time yeah. too. And if you course. sit there and say fuck this, I'm closing my eyes, I'm looking away. Eventually, you have to look back because it's still going on. I'm like, wait, did it finish yet? Uh, no, it's still going. Uh, my famous thing that I had, I actually mentioned this on air on some of these shows uh, was I saw it on something crazy like Channel Two or Seven or something. You know, oh, you did say that, yeah. Yeah, uh, back in the early to mid '80s, and they barely cut <laughs> it. It was like 11:30 at night on a Friday, and they barely trimmed the damn thing. So you saw the beginning and the aftermath of that scene. You know, okay, they cut out this long, long. There was three minutes worth of uh, pulling it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, you saw the aftermath, and you knew where they were going before that. So uh, it, it's it never not aired my again, favorite that way. Oh, yeah, unlike you, it's not my favorite zombie film. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's certainly within the top twenty. Well, what of, is your favorite? Of, is that curiosity then? I actually have a triple play. Okay. And I and I can't decide which one I liked more, and they're all heretical to say what they are. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, one's French, uh, one's South African, and what the hell is the other one? Oh, and one's America. Okay. Uh, uh, the French one is the, the Horde, and the South African one, I think is South African, The Dead. Just not too, uh, they just did a sequel to that set in India, and I think they called it The Dead 2. Duh. Mm-hmm. And the one I really, really, really liked a lot <laughs> is Zack Snyder's remake of George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Really? <laughs> I really liked that. I saw it in the theaters. I didn't mind it, but I remember really not liking, I guess it was Ving Rhames' character. You know, he had the pregnant wife or whatever. And I was like, man, he's a Oh, no, 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 he didn't. No, and, he was... He, the sergeant, this other guy okay. had a pregnant wife. Yeah, yeah, the guy with the pregnant wife. I couldn't stand that asshole. And the movie was like not bad, but it was kind of jokey. It was more of like a a really bad '90s type, even though it was like 2000 something siege film. And the CG was like, you know, when they had that, like, hundreds and thousands of zombies conversion, I was like, uh, uh. I actually was watching on the big screen. I'm like, you can tell it's the same, like, 12 guys, and they just kept, like, modeling them out. I'm like, this is, uh, you know, it, it's amusing in a way, but I never would even think of it as a good zombie film. So that's my favorite. So Yeah, yeah if, hey. this wasn't, if this wasn't a Fulci show, and if we ever have a zombie show, I can. I would love to go into more detail about why I like that one so much and the others as well. Well, I definitely can. I love zombie films. I've seen so many damn things. But it's interesting that all the films you chose were modern. Whereas, you know, me, it's like, like I always say on Third Eye, I basically stopped somewhere in the mid '90s. After that, I'll still watch stuff, but it's like, eh. well, yeah, I've seen a lot of these things. I mean, I uh, the next four or five films I saw when they first came out in the theaters in the U.S. 
and then and then went way out of my way to find the uh you know the the other prints mm-hmm. um but i i i i love these movies i mean i do but uh, if something really strikes me in a visceral way i'm going to really take note of that yeah, no, nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, uh, my orientation is that that's it. Like, if I'm going to watch something modern, it's kind of like in one ear, out the other, like eating junk food. Like, okay, I had a piece of candy, but I'm still hungry. You know, you got to get uh-huh. a piece of steak or something and make, give me a meal. Otherwise, it's just like, you know, oh, yeah, crap. Sure. I don't need that. Sure. And that's the way I look at pretty much everything that came after the mid-90s. Uh, and it's actually true. I'm just like, you know, I'll watch stuff. I'm like, eh, okay. None of it really lights my ass on fire. But, you know, I'll watch the old stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, there we go. Uh, which is kind of what makes me strange, so... <laughs> <laughs> Who says you're strange? So what's yeah. next? Uh, House by Cemetery, right? No, actually, no, Gates of Hell. Even earlier than that, Contraband, his only oh, uh, crime right. film, his only police detective, if you want to call it that, nastiest fucking film. And, you know, if you watch a lot of these police detectives, some of them do get kind of nasty. And you're dealing with mobsters, you're dealing with deals going wrong, you're dealing with politics, uh, you know, drug deals, God knows what the hell else. Shootouts, you know, people getting their tongues cut out, and all kinds of unpleasant things happening. Contraband was nastier. Fulci had some kind of mean streak in him that was just like, when it went wrong, it was like, oh. Um, so Fabio Testi was in this. Uh, Ventatino Ventanini, who I met, you know, bit player shows about a lot of these kind of things. Really nice guy. Um, Ahita Wilson was in. We talked about her. We were talking about Franco. Uh, her, him, whatever. H I R. And uh, Fulci shows up once again in the cameo. Uh, other than the fact that, yes, it's got a score by Fritzi, uh, what are you going to say about it? I mean, it's, I have it. I like Italian crime films and it was more than watchable. No question. Uh, it's just really nasty. <laughs> so if you're looking for that, there you go. If, if not, yeah. <laughs> do you have anything you want to throw in on that one or? I wasn't a huge fan of that one. Yeah, yeah. it's very brutal. It's uh, very nasty. And the lead in that can be off-putting at times in his role. Oh, yeah. No, uh, Testy is a cold son of a bitch. And, and I don't think mean it's not the way he's playing. Like, okay, let me play a role where I'm going to be cold. I think he is a cold person. I just picked that up because yeah. every time he does the same thing. I was like, and, yeah, I guess that's why they cast him in these things. But. And, you know, if you're looking for, okay, let's put a, a more key value name, like, okay, this is a guy who's handsome enough for the ladies, but, you know, tough enough for the guys, yeah, he fits the bill. But What's that cult. movie that he did with Oliver Reed? Do you remember that? Uh, yes, I do, actually. What the hell? Uh, Sergio Salima. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, uh, it's another. Uh, Revolver, Revolver. That is yeah. a good that, If you want to see a good uh, police attache, that is really Good. Uh, wasn't that? Oh, we'll get to it in the crime film. So I'll leave it alone. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, stay tuned. In a couple of weeks, we are going to be doing our Italian crime uh, show, and we will definitely discuss that one. Uh, so then we're talking about City of the Living Dead, uh, Gates of Hell, and for years that was the only way it was known over here. It was kind of notorious, and that was a crappy, you know, pan and scan edited bootleg print. So when it finally came over here, it was like, whoa! Uh, I love this film. This is. Unless we're talking zombie, yeah. it is my favorite Fulci film. So there we go. We got my favorite Jalo, which is um, you know uh, the one that you hate. Uh, Don't touch your duckling. You got my, <laughs> one of my favorite films ever, period. But certainly in zombie films and horror films and whatever the hell else, zombie. 
And now you've got what's, you know, if you say those two didn't exist even, probably my favorite, or definitely like in the top three then, uh, Fulci films, which is City of the Living Dead. Christopher George is in it. I always got a kick out of him. You know, he's just stuff like Pieces. He was just kind of a likable drunk. Uh, winds up in a lot of, and he really was a drunk in real life, uh, winds up in a lot of these um, horror films during this period, you know, generally, you know, late, late 70s, early 80s, uh, sometimes TV movies, whatever. Uh, he was a I guess TV he was, star, too. He was kind of like a Darren McGavin, wasn't he? I, I'll kind of put him well, that no, way. He, he, like was a in a, he was in a show called The Rat Patrol, which is like a horror 2 type thing. Not so much a combat type show. The the combat was the Vic Morrow thing. It was more but like this, a great escape kind of stuff. The rap it was wasn't. almost like that. These guys are yeah. in a jeep and they're always uh, uh, who was it? Eric? Uh, Eric Braden was always the, the 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 Nazi German that they always came right. across in the desert. It was pretty decent. Yeah, you know, not not mine old drink, but. Uh, I think it lasted about one to two seasons, but that, he was big. That that was his first big thing. But yeah, he did a lot of TV. Um, so he's in this as a lead. I always liked him, so right away it's a winner there. Catherine yeah. McCall, who's a real sweetheart, she's in this. Very pretty uh, British girl that wound up doing a lot of French films. Yes. I think she lives in France now. Uh, Carlo De Mejo met him. Really nice guy. Uh, Janet Ogren's in it, uh, who you might remember from one of the, maybe it was, uh, was it the Matei one? I know she was in one of the cannibal films where she gets painted. They kept doing knockoffs of Mountain and the Cannibal God, and, uh, they always had this blonde girl who's basically winds up naked and getting painted, and this somehow, like, you know, scares the natives into line or whatever the hell. Uh, oh, she's is Janet Ogren, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, likable girl. I've never met her, but uh, Giovanni Lombardo Radice, who was my very first uh, guest on Third Eye Cinema. Uh, very first episode. Great, great interview if you want to hear it. Uh, it's still there in the archives. Um, gave me a hilarious, very blunt opinion about the Italian film industry and all his co-stars and directors and so forth. Very, very funny. Listen. Um, Daniela Doria pops up in this. Uh, Luca Ventanini, who is Ventanino's son. Uh, Michele Suave, who we talked about. Uh, before he started directing, he was popping up as a bit player in a lot of Argento films. And you know, I met Luca. Yeah, and, I met Luca. And, yeah, yeah. I was, I was shocked. Like, oh shit, this is the same guy. <laughs> I don't know why he was always wearing that scarf, though. I was like, did he cut his neck, or has he just got a cold, or what? <laughs> I, no, I think he might have had uh, throat cancer or something, I heard. Oh, heard. Okay. So hides a scar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I figured it was something like that. Um, yeah. Not that bad, but... Um, so, and Ventitino's in it himself as well. And, of course, Lucio pops up, and it's another score by Fabio Fritzi. Really great. I think this is where he really starts... Uh, because all the films before this were kind of a build-up to this in a way, doing this sort of metaphysical Lovecraftian uh, yeah, yeah. meditation on the universe. The thing about Fulci, uh, especially once you get to this point, I don't want to get too much into his personal life. You can look it up. But he had an issue with one of his wives. I don't know how many he's been through, but it was definitely his last wife, I guess. And she committed suicide. And he could not reconcile with this. He could not figure out why. Uh, you know, she left behind the daughter, obviously, and uh, him as the husband. And this affected him deeply. I mean, being Italian myself, I, we're very emotional people. 
Uh, I could not even imagine how I would react if I would even survive, you know, something like that happening to me, uh, like with my wife or whatever. Um, so I can understand, but he became this really dark philosophical filmmaker. Now, I understand that he was still kind of... Uh, some people say he was nasty on set. Some people say he dressed like a bum and didn't wash or whatever the hell. Some people just talk about his great sense of humor, which he kept to the end of his life to some extent. And, of course, he got sick later. He had diabetes and everything. It was a mess. But uh, if you look at his films, if you're going to judge by just what he was creating, this entire period going from here to the end of his life, basically, uh, yeah. some of the darkest Hobbesian films ever written. Uh, I mean, we're talking about the level of like Schopenhauer uh, sort of thing. And you know, realize I'm, I'm mentioning philosophers here on purpose. Uh, dark philosophers, uh, people who were nihilistic and said, you know, why are we even here? You know, the sorrows of young Werther, that, that kind of level of uh, philosophy we're talking. Uh, basically, it was just his way of trying to find some meaning in life in the universe and finding none. Uh, and all stemming, because it wasn't like that before. He was doing comedies. Yeah, he had a violent temper. He made some nasty films, but it wasn't until you got here. It wasn't until his wife's suicide that all of a sudden the films just turned grim. I mean, you know, the reason you'll see something like the vision of hell that he had in the beyond and the inability to escape it no matter what you do, uh, it, it's, he was saying something very personal. Uh, he, this was how he saw life, the universe, and everything. You know, the the, the joke with Douglas Adams is that that's forty two. Uh, but with Fulci, it's we are all just going to burn in hell. There is nothing. Yeah, uh, nothing even matters. Even if there is a hell, you know, it's, it's just nothing. Why are we here? There is no reason. It's meaningless. Why live? You know, that sort of a thing. Like, whoa, hello, and. He pulls in a lot of Lovecraftian stuff. Uh, some of it is self-made, like his Book of Ibon and all that crap. But you'll see references to, you know, Dunwich and Arkham and God knows what else. Um, and again, that's not accidental because Lovecraft is one of the darkest uh, pulp writers. You know, much mm -hmm. worse than somebody like Poe or you know anybody that came after. Uh, there's no comparison. That's why he draws so many people to him. The, the darkness, the nihilism, the you know meaninglessness. And again, we can get into Lovecraft. I'm not going to do it, but you know he had issues with women and his his one wife that he had for a couple of weeks, and uh, when he moved to New York and how miserable that made him. And then he just basically became uh, went back to being celibate and weird uh, and hating women and hating life and whatever else. Uh, the same idea. These people just don't see a way out, and they are communicating this through their art, if you will. And that is what makes Fulci resonate with so many people. Uh, it's kind of scary that it resonates with people, including myself, but it's just like, wow, it is so intense. You can't compare it with any other Italian director, even the oft-compared Dario Argento. He is a political director. He is not a metaphysical director. Fulci, the reason I prefer him, and I told you that I liked Fulci better than Argento for this reason, because he is a philosopher, a dark philosopher, a grim philosopher, a hopeless philosopher, but a philosopher. So, a hopeless philosopher. <laughs> well, it is. Like I said, Schopenhauer. Uh, so... Anyway, uh, from here, unless you had anything you want to put in on this particular movie. Well, no, uh, this movie, the, I do, actually. It has uh, several show-stopping show moments. Uh, Go for it. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, the the early in the in the beginning of the movie, uh, Christopher. Uh, well, something happens, and Katrina McCall is uh, she's. She dies, or we think she dies, and she's put into a coffin, and uh, she's buried in Queens of all places. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, Christopher George, they had met earlier, a little earlier, and uh, Christopher George is at the cemetery. He's just moping around, smoking a cigarette, and she wakes up. So uh, somehow she was put into a somnambulistic state of, you know, whatever's going on there. And she starts to claw her way through the coffin, which she told a great story when I met her and I asked her about that. Um, Anyway, so um, she's screaming her lungs out. He's above ground walking around the cemetery and he hears this very dim, Mm -hmm. you know, so he takes a pickaxe and he just cracks and cracks and cracks at the coffin. And each time he gets closer and closer. I, I love how Fulci shot that from the side. And yep. you can see how dangerous that looks. Yeah. Yeah, and when the pickaxe comes through, like right in front of her eyes, I'm like, how the hell? There's no stunt double. I mean, how the hell could you do this and like miss her? Yeah. <laughs> I know it's a it's a nerve wracking moment. It's it's. Uh, it's visceral, yeah. and there's several, several uh, really strong moments. I think this is definitely one of his best films. Yeah. Um, one that I nobody even mentions. The very yeah. end of the film, when they are in that underground crypt, yeah. it's almost like a church with stained glass windows, but it's like a mausoleum. Uh, right. And they had gone through, I think they were going through a couple of graves to get there, and it kind of all right. you know links like an ossuary sort of thing. And the zombies are all coming out and uh, surrounding, I believe it's her and Carlo DeMejo at that point. Uh, it is just amazing. I mean, that's like, it, it makes, it elevates the film beyond what it already had reached with such things. I mean, basically the damn thing starts off with that priest hanging himself in the cemetery. It's one of the most atmospheric things ever filmed. Oh, yeah. There are so many set pieces in this. Even just stuff that's totally logic to find, like the maggots falling from the ceiling or the ridiculous seance where she basically went into this trance with the the flames coming out of nowhere or the the bar where the the bar cracks in half and all the townies run out. I mean, this stuff makes no freaking sense. Why is Bob there with this pervert that's like screwing second blow-up dolls? I mean, none of it makes a damn bit of sense. And yet... Oh, yeah. Isn't that a, a, a most bizarre scene? Yeah. I, that's never been explained to me. Well, <laughs> I asked none of it. That. None of it makes a damn bit of sense on a certain level, on a plot level, on a mechanics level, and yet on a metaphysical level, it resonates. And you're like, whoa, yeah. holy shit! And again, that brings you back to Lovecraft because you read a lot of Lovecraft, and it's like, okay, well, you know, some people complain about his racist overtones, some people complain about whatever, but what comes across is this feeling of helplessness in the face of you know cosmic horror, this universal. Yeah odds stacked against us and we're all devolving as a race and you know we're you know we're helpless and hopeless and your only choice is to die go mad or become one of their slaves you know and that's what comes across in these period of Fulci that's why even without him directly referencing Lovecraft but through some of the terms he uses it's very much there so anyway back to you <laughs> well so yeah we, we, we agree that this is a prime Fulci movie uh, one of his best um, um, 
you find some deep resonation with many other things, but that's really good, though. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's how powerful this movie is. And uh, in a way, it gets it gets, I think, slighted by the movie two 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 or three films down the road, which I think is his masterpiece, because a lot of people kind of forget about Gates of Hell. But, yeah, uh, it's funny that people do think that this is masterpiece because it doesn't make a damn bit of sense. But again, there are scenes in it, like that ending scene that I already referenced, uh, yeah. that are unforgettable. There are scenes in it, like with Cynthia Monreal on the highway, and, you know, the blind girl standing there with the dog, and it's a, the horizon just meets to her, and all of a sudden the car is about to run her down, and it stops dead, there's nobody else around. These scenes are like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I yet know. the film itself is kind of a wreck, and you look at other set pieces, like the hospital thing, or the, the guy down the basement doing the plumbing and it's just like what the fuck are we watching here are we uh, jumping to this movie next or are we gonna go <laughs> well, actually if you want since we described half of it we are talking about the beyond uh yes. one of the other scenes that i liked a lot when the blind girl is sitting there she hears a noise and she's talking and she's there with her dog because the dog yeah. is barking and all of a sudden Fulci pans out and surrounding her are this gaggle of zombies just like standing there staring at her uh, of course, you know you don't see what happens afterwards. But uh, there's a bad painter who like basically curses the town, or basically he, he's getting killed as being a warlock, you filthy warlock. Uh, once again with the chain whipping thing, really nasty. Uh, I think he gets crucified, and this ends up causing you know it opens a gateway to hell, and it ends up being oh, this whole what was the warlock's name? Oh, some Shrek weird name. Shrike or something? Or yeah, yeah, Shrike. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just the film is disjointed. It's nasty. It's dark. Some of the scenes are just absolutely gross out, you know, and, and for no purpose. You know, like, why does the, the guy fall off the ladder in the bookstore? Look at the book on Ibon, and then the tarantula crawls over his face for 10 minutes. I mean, it, it's just pointless. And when I, you try to show it to somebody else, it's kind of going to be a turnoff unless they're really a fan of this kind of a thing. Uh, and even if they enjoy other films of its type, like, you know, for instance, I showed my wife City of the Living Dead and Zombie and things like that, and she liked them. Uh, and I showed her the Beyond, and she's like, why the hell did you show me this? This, this film's crap. <laughs> so, really? You know, yeah. Um, and I tend to agree. I mean, there are some amazing set pieces. Uh, there are scenes mm. that I just absolutely love, but I kind of wish that he had included them in City of the Living Dead, and we could just throw the, the rest of the Beyond in the garbage can. Um there are scenes that are funny, like uh, David Warbeck dropping bullets down in the barrel of a gun. Uh, and actually, I should mention the cast. you got Katrina McCall again. you got David Warbeck, who pops up in a lot of stuff uh, in Italy at the time. Really likable guy. Uh, Cinzia Monreal, who was a uh, telecaster for RAI for a long time. Uh, I met her. She's, uh, as you would expect for somebody who's like that, you know, like a model telecaster. She's kind of full of herself, but very pretty girl. And she was friendly enough. Um, Veronica Lazar, who was also in, I believe, Suspiria and uh, Inferno uh, mm -hmm. for Argento. Al Cliver once again. Uh, another score by Fabio Frizzi. I think it's his last one that he does for Fulci, except for uh, Manhattan Baby, uh, which is kind of forgettable in itself. Um, but, yeah, I mean, people just love this film. They show it a lot at the Angelica. Every couple of years, somebody brings it back and shows it at the Angelica again in New York. Uh <laughs> I just don't think it's anywhere near as good as uh, City of the Living Dead, and it's not as cohesive or enjoyable as Zombie. Um, 
you know, I even and this is kind of heretical to a lot of people. I like New York Ripper better. It's it's a sleaze fest. Oh, but you know, this one is just odd. It's it's it got great set pieces, but it's a disjointed mess. Uh, nothing to connect the set pieces. So. Uh, but you think it's uh, you're, you're with the this is one of the greatest films ever made thing. So go ahead. what is your uh, what's your take on this one? Oh, it's not one of the greatest films ever made. No, of course not. <laughs> uh, uh, you don't hear what that is. No, no, I know, I know. Uh, I like it a lot though because it's it's what I what I always uh, 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 phrase I tend to used to throw around was hallucinatory horror. I think this is a prime example of hallucinatory horror. I there is disjointed. Events happen that 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 don't refer to other events, or they allude to, but then they're dropped. Right. For example, you mentioned the uh, the plumber in the basement, right? And you know the, uh, the Bob the plumber is it Bob the plumber. It might be Bob. Yeah, the plumber. I thought it was Bob. I almost said Bob the plumber. <laughs> yeah, Bob the plumber. He goes into the basement. He's doing some work on the the old house that Katrina owns, and and uh, shit happens, and you know Bob. It's something really that happens to Bob, but they forget all about Bob. How the hell? Yep. What happened to that guy? Yeah. Exactly. You contracted him. He's, you know, his wife is like hanging around, like cleaning your house upstairs or something. But where yeah. the fuck's Bob? Nobody cares. And then the wife disappears. Cares. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But this, now, that's, a, that's a case in point for this movie. Like events happen that are so bizarre. Like David Warbeck, for example, who's, who's I think terrific in this movie, working with oh, yeah. what he had. Uh, he really, really did a really good job. Um, there's a midpoint in this movie where suddenly, for about 15 minutes, Fulci decides to film every one of, of David Warbeck's answering shots like he's sinister looking. Do you recall this? I like have he a looked, vague she says, Yeah, Katrina says something to him, and he looks up, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh, shit, is he, like, what's going on with him? Yeah, you're wondering what was going to happen, but nothing happened. <laughs> but nothing happened. And like I don't know, did he tell him to look at her like you want to throw could kill her, slit her throat. And, and he looks at her like that and you're like, What's going on with this character? And uh, I don't know there's the bug nuts ending, which is like what? And I, I like that all of a sudden it becomes a zombie. Yes, I that do ending, like that ending too. That ending is related to what yeah. I was talking about, the metaphysics of his, where it's like we're all doomed. And to be fair, a lot of this, you know, disjointedness was present in, uh, you see, The Living Dead, and yet it was much more cohesive. And yes. characters would at least reference each other in that dialogue. Oh, whatever happened to? Oh, did you hear what happened to Bob? You know that kind of a thing. Here, they don't give a fuck. It's like, okay, somebody was standing next to me three minutes ago. I told him to do something. He never reappeared, and everybody's missing. But oh well, let me go do the wash. I mean, what? Well, maybe, 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 <laughs> but maybe Fulci was looking at it this way. Maybe Fulci was looking at it this way. Uh, you know, talk about the metaphysics of death. You know, the ultimate. Uh, maybe he was looking at everything's a nightmare. Everything's a dream. You're you're in that state. You know, you're beyond the rim state. You know, and it's a bad dream. You know, yeah. or or maybe you've died, or this is the way to go. This is you're on you're on your way. You're past purgatory, which is the big illusion at the end. 
and that's kind of you're right about that. You, you're hitting on something there, which is that this whole thing is, you know, are we all really dead, or at least the protagonists are dead when we start this movie, and yes. therefore he may be making a comment about how people pass on and are quickly forgotten. Now, obviously, right. he did not forget his wife, and that you know traumatized right. him did his whole career after that. But I'm sure that he watched other people, friends, family, whatever, who basically just you know because like you have to in life, got on with their lives and. More or less over time, you start to forget. You, know, you start to lose the fact that this person was even there, and he's still locked in. Damn it, you know she's dead, and therefore you know he's seeing this like, oh, yeah, well, everybody forgets you five minutes after you're dead. What the fuck, you know? So that which, may which, very well be what he's saying. Yeah, I think, and I think actually it might cause there's this one character, the blind girl with the dog, right, um, who's on the highway, you know, and what is she doing on the highway? Was the highway a a illusion a illusion to the path, yeah. You know? Yep. The the, uh, the dog biting at her throat. That's that's a scare tactic thing, I think. You know, it's, yeah. it's just to add a little darkness to it. Um, but uh, that 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 almost uh, beautiful ending, the 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 exact ending of this movie is just crazy, crazy wild. You know, it's just. They're walking, and all of a sudden, everything is foggy, and then everything is... Is it almost a cemetery? Yep. And then there's that freeze frame. You know? And then they're lost in the painting that Shrike did in the beginning of Hell, right. and, they are, and they're blind just like the girl, and they're running towards you, and then this quote comes up. I mean, I was like, okay... A uh, very, very dark film, and that's one of the things I liked about it. But yeah. again, this jointedness, the sloppiness is just, and and the very obvious cheap gore stuff, which is also a failing of a lot of Fulci films, was just like, okay, well, whatever. Oh yeah, right, yeah. Um, right. But before and after this, he did films that were similar but lesser. Uh, certainly, much lesser was The Black Cat, which was uh, same year. Patrick yeah. was in it. Uh, Mimsy Farmer, who I can never stand. Uh, David Warbeck's in it again. Al Clyburn's in it again. Dagmar Sanders in it, who pops up in a couple of his films. Uh, and Daniel Adoria pops up again. Um, and MC Farmer is not Tisa Farrow. We wanted to make that point clear. Oh, God, they're not even close. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I mean, you can argue that they're both somnambulistic actresses. Yes, I can see that. But they're both Tisa Farrow is. Well, Tisa's more of a strawberry blonde, which is really what, part of what makes her nice. But uh, I just, I don't know, I just like her in just about everything she was in. The only thing I saw her in that I did not like her in, she's usually she's, she's in about five or six films total. Most of them are Italian horrors or Italian uh, genre film of some sort. Uh, she worked with Margariti or whatever. Uh, was that one that Vinegar Center put out, that stupid, some call it loving? I'm like, what the hell? You know, you always just oh, it's the only thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was awful, awful film. Uh, and she doesn't even look like herself there. She's actually kind of like, you know, brown-haired. Uh, but later on, she's always kind of a strawberry blonde. Uh, but Mimsy Farmer's just like, I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> I, I don't understand the appeal there. Um, always she always like, struck me that she was like on drugs or something, huh? Yeah, and nasty. You can tell she's a real—it's just from her personality on screen. You know, I've never met her. You know, I can't say about her personal life, but watching her on screen, I'm like, oh my god, this woman's a bitch. Uh, you know, and she's got that short butch haircut all the time, and you know, she's kind of got the boyish Twiggy frame, but not appealing like Twiggy. You know, Twiggy was cute in her own way, despite being the way she was. This this one's just like, uh, who, you know, whatever. I don't know. It's not my thing. <laughs> uh, but. 
the film, I, this movie, I think this movie is a failure. I mean, I don't know what he was trying to achieve. And you do a great Patrick McGee imitation, by the way, <laughs> which you didn't throw out yet. No, I did not throw out Patrick McGee. Either. <laughs> there you go. See? Um, it, it never worked for me, this movie. And, and, uh, he's sitting there, like, recording tapes or something. I think he's supposed to be a writer. I forget what it was. Living there with his cats. And it, the one good thing about it is it's atmospheric. He found a nice little country village with a nice little hidden estate. Uh, McGee winds up wandering around in his attic. There are set pieces. There are bits of it that should work. It's trying to be like a Hammer film or a Tygon film. Uh, it just doesn't work. As like you said, I, I almost came up with the same words before you did. It was a failure. Um, yeah. You know, an interesting failure. You know, I'm definitely glad I have my collection. I pull it out every so often just to sort of try to reevaluate it. But slow, boring, doesn't work. Um so then he goes to House by the Cemetery, which people usually consider part of his trio, you know, zombie trio, his great trio, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but it doesn't work that well. It's not the Beyond, and it's certainly not House of the Living, uh, City of the Living Dead. Uh, Catherine McCall's in it again. Paolo Malco's in it. Uh, wasn't this the one where he picks up a copy of Blue Boy, uh, you know, the gay porn magazine? <laughs> oh, no, wait, that was the New York River. Uh, that was the so, New York River. Right, uh, <laughs> I love that film. It's so sleazy. Uh, Ania Pironi's in it, who was uh, supposed to be the mother of tears from Inferno. Uh, you know, Giovanni Frezza, the, the little annoying kid. I wanted to meet him. He was supposed to be at this one convention and it didn't show up because the reason everybody hates Giovanni Frezza was his dubbing in this movie because he, whoever dubbed this gave him the most annoying girly voice ever. And I'll bet you if you watch it in the normal Italian, it's not so damn bad because I've seen him, I thought, in some other you know, like Italian post-apocalyptic films or whatever, and it didn't bother me. It was like, okay, yeah, who cares? It's Johnny Fretzel. Oh, it's the English but, dubbing. Yeah, he's probably actually dubbed by a dub. Yeah. Oh, it was horrible. And anybody that watched this film instantly hates him because of that dub. I've, I've never met a person. I was like, oh, yeah, that was great. You know, a cute kid. Like, I fucking, I want to kill that kid. Uh, <laughs> and when, when uh, what's his face there? Forestine held his head against the door while the guy was putting the axe through to try to, once again, we got to know one of those things kind of like uh, City of the Living Dead. Instead of a, a pickaxe coming through the coffin and her being right there and can't get away. Now this kid's head being held against the cellar door while the father's there with an axe trying to get through to get through the door. Uh, and the same kind of setup, same kind of tension, whatever. But you know, because he's so annoying in the dub, you want him like, yeah, good, kill the kid, fine, get rid of him. <laughs> uh, it's it's a nasty film. It's got more of a mean spirit than the other two that we had mentioned of this trilogy. Um, there is this sort of uh, psychological thing going on. It's not just because the one guy was a psychologist that was involved here. Uh, this story is kind of stupid, but anyway, they go to this house and it's you know, this Freudstein. So of course you've got this. There's a whole Freudstein. Right, this whole very obviously psychological thing, but you could tell just by watching the movie, forget all that. Like, okay, yeah, he's trying to make some comment about the return of the repressed. and You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there that's like, okay, yeah, signpost that, yeah, he's trying to say something a little bit deeper here, but it doesn't work. I mean, it's just kind of, uh, there's some nice atmosphere bits. There's... Uh, the zombie himself living in the basement, you know, with the body parts and stuff. I used to have nightmares like this when I was a kid, but it wasn't like, oh, cool, you know, like one of those things like when I watch, um, 
you know, uh, the Nashi film there, Horrors Har- from the Tomb. And I said, oh, yeah, that was like one of my nightmares when I was a kid. Those were the comfy ones. This was like the, ugh, the ones that woke you up like, oh, get me away from that. That kind of shit. It's just like an uncomfortable, ugly, mean-spirited film masquerading as being like another City of the Living Dead, masquerading as being like another, uh, you know, the beyond, masquerading as being a sort of ersatz zombie. It's not. It's not any of those films. It's something completely different. Uh, oh, and Danielle Dorio's in it again. Called the Mayhos in it once again, and oh, yeah. so. Uh, and this is actually the last of the Sergio Salvati films. He moves on after this. There's uh, um, there's there's a couple of interesting moments in this though. There's you know the creepiness, the yeah, the two children. I mean, I think kids are creepy anyway, but the the two yes. kids and, and they got cemetery in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> it's like let me the buy a house with a cemetery in the backyard. In the back. huh? <laughs> and then there's um, the, the it's the real estate woman, right? Who, yes, who Dagmar Lysander. Right, Dagmar Lysander, because the uh, there's a uh, big stone in the middle of the bloody was it the kitchen? Yeah, it's like the like living room, the kitchen or something. There's like a, a tombstone there. <laughs> it's a tombstone. Was that? It's at the top of a of a crypt, I think, and it cracks, of course. Right. And, her her leg goes through it, and it looks like her ankle breaks in bloody Fuji style. And that's not all, folks. But we won't go further. I mean, that's one of the highlights of the movie, actually. Well, I and, thought it was a tombstone. So there was a name on it. It was actually engraved. It's in the middle of your living room. Yeah, buy this house. Yeah, but why buy this house? Yeah, why does it appear in the middle of nowhere? But her leg goes through. Yep. It looks like uh, top of a. Uh, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but. Um, what else is going on? Oh, yeah. There's allusions to Freudstein being a heretical scientist. Yep. So he, he he possibly was experimenting on others. And, and, and you know, uh, there's there's that stuff there, too. Uh, and then there's the bizarre ending. Um, I don't know. I like it, though. <laughs> and you get the impression, even though it wasn't really stated, that he's had some kind of thing for children because he... Freudstein always kind of went after children. That's why the children was involved and disappearing. It's disturbing in a lot of respects. I, you know, I don't consider it one of his better films. I certainly don't pull it out often. I'd be more inclined to pull out, you know, contraband every couple of years and leave House of well, the Cemetery on the shelf. It's definitely, but it, but you know, but one thing it does have going for it, you know, uh, Gates of Hell, City of Living Dead does have a mood. This right. movie does have a mood. You you just have to like check your brain at the door. <laughs> like you have to with most of, most of Fuji's pictures, unfortunately. But uh, for this one more so, uh, uh, it's funny though. It's still very graphic and gruesome in, yeah. in parts. I recall when it first came out, the person I was with at the time, Chuck, her best friend, who was a a, 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 a high-ranking member in the pagan community. And uh, she had always heard me talk about Fulci. And um, so she went to see this. And <laughs> she was shocked. So, if you, yeah, she it was her first uh, exposure to something like that. <laughs> uh, I'll never forget that. 
so next he came to the New York Ripper. Now, the reason that uh, my co-host here is going, uh, every time I mention a film, it is a nasty, misogynistic film. There are moments that are clearly, you know, just hard to watch unless you really got some kind of thing where you just hate women or something. Uh, you really were like, wow, how the hell did he even get these women to star in this film, much less do some of this stuff? But – what I like about it, it is a sleazy, sleazy fucking film. It is like Maniac meets, you know, some of the porn from that period. And I mean some of the scummier porn from that period. Uh, it is suffused in sex. Uh, I mean, this girl Faye Majors here, who is, uh, what the hell's her name, uh, Amanda Suska, uh, she is kind of like milfy, but totally like out there, hot, wet, and looking for it, and of course gets herself in a lot of trouble that way, but really, you know, puts herself in some sleazy situations. There are strippers, there is grime, there's a very, very New York City feel. Uh, and like I said, the reason I mentioned a film like Maniac, which is also really nasty, is the kind of feel you don't get from many films. I mean, Lustig did a couple of films like this. Vigilante also felt like this. Um, you will see certain films that feel very, very New York, but most of them don't. Most of them kind of touch on it, and then you can tell, yeah, they were just California guys. You know, They might have shot a couple of minutes of location footage. This is a New York film, especially of that era when it was dangerous and sleazy and, uh, you know, you basically take your life in your hands to just go and, you know, satisfy a horny urge or whatever you had. Um, and yet, Ouch. of course, it's, it's got some <laughs> nasty, nasty misogynist stuff in there, some of which I will not even repeat because it's that disgusting. Uh, and you, I would not suggest showing this in front of any women. Uh, any ladies out there listening, don't even try it. Uh, any guys out there, don't try to put your girlfriend in front of this because they won't stay with you. Uh, <laughs> it has some Ever. nasty yeah. scenes. Uh, you know, the guy walking around doing that. <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of funny Donald to Tuck me. Thing. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah. I mean, he's yeah, and there's a suggestion that he might be a little bit, you know, fruity, and you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, like I said, the Palomarca thing where he goes and picks up the the blue boy. I mean, there's a lot of uh, gender bending and uh, perversions, and it's hypersexed in a way that you would not expect from an Italian horror film, especially not one from Fulci, who, if anything, was undersexed. Well, uh, if you if you recall if you recall there there there's uh I think it's bird with the, I think it's bird with the crystal plumage when the the killer is slicing down uh, it was cut but it was restored to the print it was slicing down the woman's chest do you remember that yes and that's repeated here I, I didn't and want to mention that but yes it's actually repeated in it's a worse way it's repeated here but amplified yes yeah, yeah in a worse, in worse way. way yeah yeah, yeah. And, that's and, what I was referring and, and, to you know, like that. <laughs> yeah, I, and I have a I have a whole side to this, which makes sense because I really, really dislike this movie. I, I, I just I was so disappointed having seen it because uh, it's a Fulci film, and, yeah. and I was like really looking forward to something, and I purposefully did not read anything written about it until I finally saw it, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, and it stayed with me as probably the one Fulci picture I dislike. So, imagine my horror in 2000. I'm uh, uh, at a uh, not not chiller at a, another film uh, event, and uh, Antonella Fulci was there, first time in the U.S. Right. And 
the promoter of that show said, would you introduce her and talk a little about the that New film? York River? Because Antonella wants to that? introduce you, the New York River. You know, I would almost think it was the convention that we met you at because there's a fellow there, a little ball guy, who really gets off on not just violence, but violence against women in particular. We were sitting there listening to him say some stuff, me and my wife, when what we met you. Tarrytown? Was this Terrytown? No, no, this is the other one. This is the other one you're usually at. Uh, oh, really? and, no, yeah, and he... He really said some stuff that was like, oh, my freaking God, I can't believe this guy's saying this shit in public. Oh, every so often uh, people you know, pop up. Yeah, yeah I and I so I would picture him saying that, like, oh, yeah, why don't you talk to her about the New York Ripper, which is the last thing you want to ask any woman. <laughs> well, 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 the thing was, the, the promoter of this show, this was, uh, this was up in the uh, – where's Tarrytown? What's it called now? It was Sleepy Hollow. That's, yeah. They had this show in the middle of nowhere up there. And uh, actually, Goblin played one of the first times they came to this country. So anyway, I talked to Antonella, and I said, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna discuss uh, talk a few minutes about New York Ripper." Oh yeah, sure, sure. So we got this all set up. The rum is packed. The screen is ready, and I tried to be middle of the road. And she turns to me and she goes, "But what did you think of this?" And I said, "Well, you're putting me on the spot." I think it's a massage. Oh no! So I actually had to tell the truth, <laughs> yeah. And, and she she was like, "This is not a misogynist. It's just a beautiful film." I was like, "Okay, fine." <laughs> well, the thing is, what I was trying to say before is it may be the fact that it is so oversexed, and which is what I liked about it, the sleaziness, the decadence, the 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 feeling that you're watching an episode of Midnight Blue, if you will. Uh, but. It may be the reason that he only did it this one time. This is the only time Fulci does sex and really goes sex was some kind of a violent reaction to it, almost like he was, you know, the the return of the repressed Puritan, you know, kind of like a, a Friday the Thirteenth. Oh wait, the kids are fucking and, and smoking some pot. I must kill them, you know, because they have disobeyed, you know, the laws of morality. It's almost like Hitlerian bullshit. Uh, and here you go, and that's maybe that's why it's so nasty when the murders happen. You know, for me, the murders are like, oof, oh my god. <laughs> uh, and yet the rest of the film is like, oh wow, yeah, okay, I can dig this. So the perversion is what I get into, the decadence of it, the New Yorkness of it. And yet you've got this horrible undercurrent that you have to face every so often with this duck-walking killer. Uh, and, you know, like you kind of spelled out more than I wanted to, there are scenes, like I mentioned, that are just – you don't even want to talk about them. They're that disturbing. Uh, so, Not talking about something on weird scenes? No, no, I yeah, agree with exactly, you totally. Right. I agree with you. And, you know, yeah. of course, there were Karova. You know, she was in that, obviously. She's the one, I guess, that was happening. Alexander Delacali. I mean, people that you know from film at this time. Uh, Andrea Chapinti. I mean, the guy pops up a couple of weeks later in uh, Conquest, which we'll get to shortly. So anyway, enough on this film. Uh, so then he does a couple that are really almost like he's digging the bottom of the barrel here. He doesn't know what to do. Uh, Manhattan Baby, which uh, was also known as I, the Evil Dead. Uh, Christopher Connolly's in it. Um, yeah, which call it uh, Giovanni Frezza pops up again. Cindy the Ponte, called the Mayo. Uh, Fritzi comes back to do the score on this one, and then he's gone again. Uh, 
the film sounds like it should be good on paper, you know, something about, you know, Egypt and getting possessed and whatever the hell else. You know, you, at the very least, you expect something like The Awakening or Sphinx, you know, something like that. No, you get Manhattan Baby, which is just... Uh, oh, it was uh, Christopher Connolly, yes, who yeah. did a couple pictures in Italy at this time. Yeah, yeah. It's one of these films where it's all about children. He would do this again a couple of years later in uh, Sweet House of Horrors, but that was much more successful. Uh, so it's a muddled film. It's a failure. Um, so then we get Conquest, which was, I remember when I was a kid, I didn't even see the movie for many years after this. But I saw a, it in the theater, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it was a review in the New York Times, and it said something like, you know, it was like a zero-star review, literally, which he never saw, and it said some kind of snarky comment, which included stars Andrea Ochipinti and other big names, and I found this review so funny, because you know, I was into like sword and sorcery films, and there's a sword and sorcery picture, and this guy's like, this film is like absolute crap, and uh, you know, who the fuck even knows these people are? So I had this hanging on my wall in my bedroom when I was a kid. Uh, years and years later, I, I saw it when I finally came to DVD, and I'm like, eh, all right, there's some nice atmosphere in it. But the whole thing's like shot. It's like The Sword and the Sorcerer meets uh, Quest for Fire, but shot under really bad cheesecloth and a lot of fog, and not as entertaining as The Sword and the Sorcerer was. So uh, that's basically what Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a great movie, Sword and the Sorcerer. Uh, Conquest is not. <laughs> no, and Sabrina no. Ciani's in it, Franco's favorite. You know, the girl he said was like the dumbest person he ever worked with. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> there's something about Conquest, though, that's bizarre. It might even be oh, more yeah. too bizarre for Fuji. Um, there's the uh, the, the Mexican, what's well, Italian Mexican co production, which is really right. strange to begin with. How did that happen? But um, Jorge <laughs> Rivero who was actually in a John Wayne movie, uh, Rio Lobo. Right. And uh, he was in a couple other pictures. They tried to make him a star here. It didn't work out, but the guy's ripped. He really took care of his body. And uh, he's very handsome. And he, it's, I don't know, is this movie take place in ancient times or is it post-apocalyptic? I can't tell. I, I thought it was supposed to be prehistoric, but there is post-apocalyptic elements, and you've got that, like, wizard girl running around. God knows. It's, it doesn't make sense. It's atmospheric, but boring in a lot of ways, and it's it seems like it has a lot of promise, and yet it falls flat on its face. So, but, you know. But, but, but you have Sabrina Siani, who's this naked, full-breasted goddess with a mask, right? Stupidest person they ever work with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She walks through the picture, and the whole, nearly the entire film is shot through gauze. Do you remember yeah. this? That's what I was talking Which, about. It's like shot through cheesecloth. <laughs> why would you do this? You're in Mexico. You're you're on beautiful. You got some great things. And, and then, so, okay, she's like the leader of this tribe of whatever is going on there. Yep. And then there's cannibalism involved. And I'm like, what is on here? <laughs> but but I like all it this. Because, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, for all this, I still like it. <laughs> yeah, me too. For all this, I still like it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, if there's anything else you want to say about that one, uh, then he starts doing a, a post-apocalyptic film, The New Gladiators, uh, also known as uh, Warriors in the Year 2072. or I, I always thought it was very much unlike Lucio Fulci. 
Yeah, it's boring as hell. You can't tell Fulci even did it. Uh, Fred Williamson's in the damn thing. Uh, let's see, who else? Claudio Casanelli, who was in a couple of Jallos, uh, Scorpion Two Tails, Coetzee's Hercules film she was in, uh, Martino's Island of Fishman and Mountain of the Cannibal God. She was in Flavia. She was in What Have They Done to Your Daughters. Donald O'Brien's in this again. We talked about him earlier. Al Cliver's in it again. Fulci pops up. Rizzo does the score, it, but it doesn't work. It's, uh, you know, it depends how high your tolerance is for these post-apocalyptic films from the 80s. You know, put Mad Max together with a little bit of, I hate to say Escape from New York because that makes it sound better than it is, but that sort of a thing. Uh, wow, it, it sounds really good. <laughs> it's almost like uh, New Crime City, L.A. 2020, which I love with Rick Dean, but not entertaining like that. It's more like just boring guys riding around on those stupid scooters, like go-kart type things. I don't know. Uh, it's oh, kind it's of just a movie that I saw uh, outtakes of recently, but like some guy actually, like he misjudged the timing and he hit somebody coming out on another <laughs> scooter and like ran him over. It may be because it, they kept riding around in certain. You know how those movies are. They're all, they're all not yeah. Smith, Max. It, it was boring. Uh, so then he does Murder Rock. Now a lot of people don't like this one. I liked it a lot because I like those '80s aerobics films. I always had a thing for girl and those uh, leg warmers and leotards <laughs> and that shit and the ponytails. Uh, but and it's got a decent soundtrack too. Keith Emerson did it. Uh, but the thing that people don't like about it is is. Unlike Fulci, there is no fucking gore in this film. So for me, I was like, okay, okay, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. But you know, somebody's like, oh yeah, I want to go see somebody's you know, head chopped off. I want to see blood pouring over the floor. Or you're going to get like a hat pin murderer. Uh, there's like nothing there. It's filmed in New York City, which is also another plus. Olga Carlatos from Zombie pops up again. Ray Lovelock, uh, who pops up a lot of stuff. I, most notably, uh, Jorge Grau's, uh, what was that? Uh, Living Dead in Manchester Morgue. Um, Claudia Castanelli pops up in this thing. Jaretta Jaretta's in it, uh, who was in Demons, uh, among other things. Christian Borromeo, who was in Tenebre. Jose LaRaza's Stigma, House on the Edge of the Park. Uh, but, you know, basically it's what you would expect from one of these kind of aerobics type uh, horror movies. You know, it's all set around a dance studio rather than a gym, and people are getting killed. Uh, you can see, you know, anything from something stupid like Death Spa, or what was the one that Ted Pryor did that I liked a lot? Uh, oh, yeah. Aerobicide? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was a great one. Uh, this kind of thing, that, that's what you're getting here. It's, it's I, not I as have... as those ones. Mm -hmm. uh, I... But, you know, it, it's if you're looking for gore, forget it. It's not in there. Well, I have a great tidbit for you Franco fans. Uh, Fucci, sorry, Fucci fans. Um, of all people, Elaine Delon remade this movie, Murder Rock. <laughs> really? Yes. Wow. Yeah, it's his hit. Uh, three years later, Elaine Delon, yes, the famous French actor, director. Actually, I really like Elaine Delon. Uh he actually, later in the life, he remade this as Dancing Machine. Really hard to get. Um, of course, I got my hands on one. And <laughs> it's a remake of Murder Rock. Exactly. Very, very freaking close. It's almost I'd litigation. Love to see it. I'd, yeah, it, I'd love to see it. <laughs> it's actually pretty uh, good. The, 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 it's got a lot, a lot of less disco. But the story is there. It's the same bloody thing. The dance dance. It's it's so close, and um, I was like, "Oh my God, Elaine Delon has remade Murder Rock." 
<laughs> so uh, it's called Dancing Machine for those who are real masochists. Because um, I don't know how many people want to see Elaine Delon as a, a, a handicapped dance instructor who actually may not what? be handicapped. But uh, yeah, I know what. <laughs> but uh, it's really good actually. And uh, um, did we already mention Jaretta Jaretta, the eponymous Jaretta Jaretta? Yes, and I met her twice. Interesting character. Uh, <laughs> Likeable, but wow, she's a force of nature. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, there you go. Yeah. So then he got. This is actually around the time he got sick. So uh, he did do movies, but it took him a couple of years. So like three years later, he came back and did something called The Devil's Honey, which had Brett Halsey in it. Wow. I just don't like Brett Halsey's collaborations with Fulci. I'm sorry. They're, they're always kind of nasty. This one is not really a murder type thing. It's more of a slightly Jalo-esque sex film, if you will. Uh, Kareen Clary's in it, which makes it worthwhile. Gorgeous French girl. I love her and just about everything she's done. Did um, you meet her? No, I did not. You should have went. I was not at that one. Uh, I had David Hess sign a photo of his, a headshot from that film, but I did yeah. not meet Corrine. She was so uh, nice. Oh. I love Corrine Clark. Mimi um, Light was there, too. I, I, oh, yeah. another one I love. <laughs> we talked about her last week with the Slap and Tickle film. Yes, uh, we did. So, uh, Blanca Marsalak, who uh, was Christina's sister from uh, Opera, I believe, um, and of course, Fulci pops up again. Uh, it's not on DVD. I don't know why, considering all the crap that they do put out on DVD. I would still like to have a decent copy of this as opposed to my great market I think there was a, uh, a... Oh, we should make an announcement. We reached our two-hour mark and we're live, so we should make an announcement that we're going to you know, do our thing. Uh, still talk? Okay, yes. We are still talking. <laughs> so anybody who uh, is already off air probably realizes by now that they should download this and get the rest of it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's really too late for that, so. <laughs> I know, I know. I, sorry. I, I was listening to you, and I'm trying to watch the clock. Uh, so anything else you want to say about The Devil's Honey before we move on from that one? I actually like this freaking movie. Um, yes, I would like to see it again, because I remember there was, was a lot of sex in it. He was fucking Korean every, like, five seconds. <laughs> what the hell was going on? Yeah, yeah. And it's weird, you know, a lot of people who have not seen this movie look at the IMDB listing or Wikipedia and they say, Oh, Corinne Cleary is the girl. No, it's Blanca Marcelac and um it's a twisted movie, you know, he's he's sort of indirectly involved, uh, for the death of her boyfriend. Uh you know, some motorcycle riding asshole. And her revenge is to like kidnap the doctor, which is Brett Halsey and uh Fuck him. Uh, that's yeah, basically that's it. She just fucks her brains out. That's it, man. It's yeah, like, yeah. Okay, I enjoyed watching it. I mean, I always certainly like to see it well, upgraded to a DVD copy. There's a, a little bit of sadism as the film progresses. Uh, it's another... Um, it's funny. At this period of time, uh, Lucio... Here, first name basis, but Lucio <laughs> shot movies very soft lens. And, yes, uh, always. And when you, Right, around this period especially. And when you're making a sex film, you don't want to always go with the soft lens because you feel like you're watching a Skinamax movie. You know, it's, right. it's just very 
you know what's going on, and it's harsher, and you're shooting with such a gauze through gauze. But you know how many French people do that? You know, Jean-Marie Pollard did. He practically filmed every film that way. So once but again, he got away with it, and his stuff was harder. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I can see why he did that, but he also did it with everything, and it wasn't. Always I like. I, I like this movie. I. I uh, I wouldn't say it's a perverted film. It's certainly unlike no. most of what we're used to from Fulci. But this is also around the same period. Um, you mentioned a few minutes ago that that uh, Lucio Fulci was uh, a little uh, ill around this time. Yeah. Period. And what he did, as far as I can ascertain, um, when he wasn't working for like a two or three year period, he lent his name as, believe it or not, folks, supervisor or presenter yes. to a bunch of uh, uh, four or five or six uh, lower-budgeted uh, films from Italy. Uh, One of which was The Curse, which was uh, an, a video Asinidas film, those of you who follow up producers. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy his stuff. Uh, that's based on Lovecraft, uh, the one that everybody loves and I can't stand, Colorado Space. Uh, with Will Wheaton in it, <laughs> and Claude Aiken, Sheriff Lobo, and, David uh, and John Keith. Schneider. David yeah. John Schneider from Smallville and uh, Dukes of Hazard was in this thing, but it's, it's, the film still sucks. Uh, but yeah, he did. He lent his film name to a couple of these things, like Uncle Ben's Dead by Me. That's some of the other ones. Well, yeah, I haven't really seen, uh, well, this one, Aunt Martha Does Dreadful Things. That was a piece of shit. Uh, I saw uh, Snake House, which is also known as Bloody Psycho. <laughs> and I saw Hansel and Gretel on a really, really bad copy. But you know what? I don't think that enhanced the fact that it was any worse or better. <laughs> <laughs> How about um, the Red Monks? I always heard good things about that. No, I have that. It's somewhere, unless I threw it out. I actually had an Italian pre-record. I paid a lot of money for that. And really? I was like, oh, I finally got the Red Monks. And you thought the Rossi. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, he didn't direct it. Oh, yep. it sucks. He didn't direct it. It was basically your typical catacomb chase chaser kind of thing. Yeah, see, that's why I thought it would be good, but I don't know. I, I haven't no, seen it. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and I really didn't like um, Sweet House of Horrors. I really oh, loved that bad shit. Yeah. But we'll get Which to is, that momentarily. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, after this, so he starts doing again, still a lot of questionable films. Enigma. Uh it's kind of like trying to be phenomena. I think he saw phenomena and says, Let me do that too, two years later. But, but with it bugs. Work. With bugs, yeah. yeah. It's stale. Like what the hell and, and it's all um he shot it in Eastern Europe, so there's like big names like uh Miljana Zalevich and Dragon Bajeltrik and Lana Laberti <laughs> Miljana Bajekskovich kinda of like what the hell? I mean unless you're from like uh what is that? Uh Lithuania you won't be able Yeah, Bulgaria. You won't be able to say any of these fucking names. Like who are these people? And, and you wouldn't you know, recognize not, them, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. not the problem. The problem is who are they? They've never yeah. been in anything else that you've ever seen. And it's boring. And again it's Soft focus, he has films with cheesecloth. Um, you know, phenomena for all its faults. <laughs> there you go. Phenomena for all its faults had some great set pieces. You know, the opening with the yes. wind blowing around and her finding the, that little abandoned cabin there, you know, Fiora uh, Argento. Uh, you know, there are bits and pieces, even the gross ones, like uh, the guy at the end there digging his way through the, the basement full of maggots. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that has faults, but yeah, yeah. 
remember set pieces from this. You know, uh, the, the girl escaping from school at night and going out with those kids on the, the lark there, and the, the guy stalking her through the, the campus grounds. Uh, there were moments of phenomena that you remember. And then, but I barely remember the film. It was just boring. I mean, yeah. everything you know? uh, So after this, uh, Zombie 3 comes around. Now, did he really direct it? What, you know, how much of it did he direct? Because it's really more of a Bruno Mattei film, from what I'm seeing. Uh, and of course, you know, Claudio Fragazzo and Rosola Drew the Arabo. So maybe they directed some of it too, because he liked to do that. Uh, you know, of course, they're most famous for Troll too, but uh, they did a lot of films at this time, uh, including Zombie Four, for one. Um, I like Zombie Three a lot, but I do first, too. <laughs> it was the first film, and actually, there's another person that was supposed to show up that didn't, and I was pissed off. Beatrice Ring, a uh, very pretty French girl, uh, her and a bunch of stuntmen, like I mentioned earlier, Octavia Dalac was in this. Uh, Duran Serafian, his like usual partner when they do a lot of these Italian films with his stunt guy. Uh, but you know, Pagazzi's in it. You know, uh, what's his name there? They used to call him Alan Collins. Uh, he's always in films like, you know, Baron Blood, for instance. Uh, he's in some of this. Bruno Mattei, of course, pops up himself. So does Fregato. Uh You know, it's a stupid film. It was filmed in the Philippines. It's kind of disjointed, but you're going to remember it. And if you just turn your brain off, you're going to enjoy the shit out of it. It is a pure cult film. Uh, the exploding gas station, the fight in the hotel, uh, the the fight in the pool, you know that uh, going across the bridge. I mean, there are moments in this, there's scenes in this that you will always remember and that you'll want to see again. Uh, is it a good <laughs> film? Hell no, it's a shit film. <laughs> God even knows who directed it because you know who did what and what what was from where. Because whenever you see Matei, especially if uh, uh, what's his face is involved there, Fragazzo, chances are he directed part of it too. So you may have at least three directors on this film. <laughs> who knows how much fault you really did, but. Well, Matei claimed that the head coming from the refrigerator. That was my favorite part. The 3D head. What the hell? (laughs) But it's macabre, though. It's so bizarre. It works almost. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Matei claimed that uh, uh, because he was a bullshit artist, like a lot of these guys are bullshit artists when they got older. You know, still working. You know, God knows where. We gotta do Matei picture man uh, show because I told you that, you, but you didn't want to. You want to hold off on that, like lesser director. Uh, series three. <laughs> yeah, Lanzi, like Matei. Ten years. Yeah. Uh, the, the Bianchi's. <laughs> so yeah. Oh. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, I just rap man. <laughs> I love rap. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Because Matei, I just got a hold of some of his zombie movies, and and you know he's, yeah. he did a lot of pictures in the Philippines, so it'd be very interesting to do that. Anyway, um, what I was trying to say was, I read somewhere recently where Matei said, "Well, Lucio Fulci made the majority of that picture; he just added a few things," which is like, well, it doesn't look like a movie any three you guys made. Yeah. Exactly. Sure. If if anything, I would say it was more Matei or even more so Fragazzo. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, but is it a fun is the film? the best thing Matei ever made. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But I like Matei films. But loads of fun. I mean, I can't recommend it enough. It's one of these kind of junk, like, pieces type films where you get a bunch of drunken friends over, you put it on, you, you pour some you know, pour some booze down, you throw out some chips and laugh your asses off and ho- hoot and holler at the screen because this is that kind of movie. Loads oh, of you fun. know what's a good scene in there, though? There is a good scene in there. It's uh, They're in the... Uh... The hotel? No, no. In the, in the lab or the... Oh, in the hospital. 
Yeah, yeah, and the, the guy with the uh, hazmat suit. Yep. And he starts to like, he like explodes within his hazmat suit. Yeah, I thought that was pretty bizarre, man. If someone was even totally tasteless, like the the pregnant woman that turns out to have the zombie inside her, and he like you know puts his arm out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you forget that? It was like, oh my god, it was, it was so over the top and tasteless. <laughs> See, guys, we don't have enough time to watch everything before our show, even though we've seen it already. Well, that's, yeah, to, I'm going for stuff I might have seen years ago, but still. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I forgot about that. I don't know how you can forget that scene. <laughs> so then he does Touch of Death, which I hate this film. This may be the worst of all Fulci films. Because uh, if I'm right about this one, this is the one where Brett Halsey is the uh, kind of like a merry widower kind of guy, and he goes around marrying all these old rich women and then killing them and then keeping their money. And he's just kind of like you know singing and you know, doing little jaunty tunes while he like cuts their heads off and puts them in an oven. He and looks stuff. really bad in this movie too. Brett, who's still around teaching in an American school somewhere, um, he looks really bad in this movie. I I I, I thought it was fucking dying then. It's like twenty years ago. Horrible. Uh, Al Cliver's in it. Zora Karova's in it. But oof. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't with, matter who's in it. It's bad. Add an insult to injury. Fulci took pieces of this movie, maybe even like a major portion of it, and did it again in that crappy one that everybody loves, Cat in the Brain. Do you remember that? Yes. He stole entire scenes from it. Uh, Do I remember but, that? That was like the big thing. It's 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 so highly highly revered by Fulci fans. Because oh, yeah. they think it's it's a uh, semi-autobiographical or autobiographical film upon this. Some people actually said, and I've heard this before, and you can see yeah. it on, online, but I've actually heard people say stuff like this. Oh, yeah, it's like eight and a half. What? <laughs> Are you yeah. fucking crazy? Uh, you know, it's autobiographical. I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit to that one, but uh, you've got pieces from... It's just you know, fine. There's a bunch of shit movies in between. <laughs> yeah, well... You have pieces from Touch of Death, you have pieces from Ghost of Sodom, and you've got yeah. pieces from your favorite film that you mentioned before, Bloody Psycho, all you know, chopped together, and then Fulci's wandering around talking to himself, and he's being haunted by his own creations, basically. It's... And he's seeing a psychiatrist, do you remember that? Yes, that's exactly the whole thing of it. That's why he's going through yeah. this. Now, is it much better than Touch of Death? Yes. Is it a good film? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh Definitely a piece of crap. Uh, and like you said, a lot of bad films in between. Sodom's Ghost. Uh, I would, again, like to see it on a good DVD print, but it's been out of some bootleg companies. Uh, Zara Karova, Al Cliver, Jessica it, right? Moore. Yeah, sure. Jessica Moore, yeah. who I love from uh, 11 Days, 11 Nights, the Joe D'Amato film. We talk about Joe D'Amato. Yeah, yeah, uh, just- yeah. And there's like Nazis in it, and these kids going. It just doesn't work. It's a stupid film, boring. Uh, well, it loses its enthusiasm midway through. And any movie you're watching where you could tell the direction, or the director loses his enthusiasm for his uh, subject matter. Yep. You're like, why should I bother? Exactly yeah. right. And that happens with a lot of these, unfortunately, at this period. Yeah. Sweet House of Horrors, you mentioned hating it. I didn't like it much either. Um, two kids, and they're going around, and they, their parents get killed or some shit, and they're going around with – they think they see the ghosts of the parents, and then these crooks come and try to rob the house, and the ghosts help them out. Stupid, stupid film. Um, yes, it's well, got some atmosphere. Really, what, do you know what really got me – oh, no, I'm sorry. It's House of Clocks. Yes, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, yeah. Another one with the same idea, though. Um, these were actually, believe it or not, Sweet House of Horrors, House of Clocks, they were made for Italian TV. So it's kind of like what when we talk about Lamberto Baba eventually. That was another guy we wanted to talk. Uh, 
you know, he, a lot of his films are actually done for television. If you watch it, like, really, this was done for TV? It's kind of nasty. You know, there's a little bit of sex in it. There's a little bit of gore. Like, really? But, and, you know, Italian TV is a little looser than we are, obviously. You know, it's puritanical. Um, mm-hmm. But the film is just, it's not terrible. I mean, I have it. I do watch it every now and then, but it's definitely not one of my favorites, probably because it revolves around children in the first place. Uh Vernon Dobchev is in it, who was uh, in things like The Exorcist, Catacombs, Night Patrol with the unknown mm-hmm. comic, Name of the Rose. Uh, Cynthia Marial pops up in it again. Uh, Vince Tempura, because remember we said Fritzy left after after uh, right. you know Manhattan Baby. So he says, okay, well, who's left? You know, Beach, you didn't want to do it. Let me get Tempura. So, so Tempura does a soundtrack. It's very forgettable. Um, House of Clocks, like you mentioned. <sighs> I, I had mixed feelings one. about this one. When I first saw it, I despised it. Later on, I'm like, well, it's better than Sweet House of Horrors. It's better than Silent Do you know, do you know what made me wait? I actually turned this fucking movie off when I first <laughs> saw it because he had this two elderly couple. Oh, it's a nice right. married elderly couple. Yeah. And they, they're feeding birds. And then they slaughter the birds they're feeding. Yes. Yeah, it was like there is nasty shit in there. It doesn't make any sense. And, and I'm like, like, whoa. <laughs> well, it's supposed to show that they're not what you expect, and then these stupid kids come in. Uh, they're basically kind of you know, just typical teenagers, I guess. They go and they, they rob a convenience store on the way up, whatever, and then they decide to hole up or you know rob these two uh-huh. old ladies. Uh-huh. They're some nice, you know, they're good marks. And because you had already seen that these people are really sickos, they have some weird thing where they they turn back the clocks, they come back from the dead as zombies, and you know there you go, you, you get what you expect here. Uh, it's got its moments, it's atmospheric. I liked you know certain things about it, like the that intro part there with the kids coming up there and you know robbing the liquor store and all that shit. Uh, there are moments to it, but. First off, unless you're a real sicko, who do you want to see an old couple getting terrorized, even if they do turn the tables after they're dead? Um, secondly, oh, and of course at the end there's this whole twist ending where they're really alive. And it's, it's kind of like going back to Freudstein again, that same idea. But yeah. the first time I saw it, I'm like, eh, I really don't like this film. And then I saw other Fulci films from this period, I'm like, you know, House of Clarks wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> So that's my opinion at this point. It's like it's better than other stuff from that period, but isn't any good? Nah, not really. I wouldn't say that. Uh, so, uh, and Vince Tempura did the soundtrack again. Once again, forgettable. So now we go to Demonia. I liked Demonia. Don't ask me why. It's not really a non-exploitation film, which I think it's supposed to be. It's not really a zombie film. Uh, really processional film. Yeah, I mean, it's like, what the hell is it? Uh, Brett Halsey's in it, Al Cliver's in it, Fulci pops up, and somebody named Meg Register's in it. Somehow they go there to this site, it's an archaeological site, and there's nuns that got crucified for being heretics or something, and they, do they really come back to life, or they just kind of, like, get into her head and possess her and start her murdering people? I don't know. I don't remember. It's been a lot of years, but I remember, like, that was a really screwed up film, but I think I want to see it again. And I did watch it a couple of times and enjoy it. Uh, but, you know, again, usually when I got a good reason why I like something, why I don't like it, it's like, why did I like it? I, I really can't tell you. <laughs> I guess it's the atmosphere. I guess it's the archaeological thing. Because when I was younger, I wanted to be an archaeologist. But uh, I don't know. It, it, I can't really explain to you what is really good about this film, if anything. What was your take on it? I guess you didn't like it. No, I didn't like it. <laughs> So, no, uh, I really didn't like it. I, I, it's another one of those soft focus type pictures he's, he's he produced at this time, and 
I I did watch it about two or three times over the years, and uh, each time I just wasn't a huge fan of it. Sorry. What I think, if I've got to say anything off the top of my head here, is that it feels like a Greek film. It's one of those island films. It's got that Nicolas Island of Death sort of thing. It's got that Joe D'Amato, Grim Reaper sort of thing. Bringing Uh, that up, I I could see that. I could see that. Best, and now you can make me want to look at it again. (laughs) So that might be my my answer why I like this film, because I just enjoy it. Uh, now I'm going to have to take another look at that. Well, no, it's very no. I, seriously, though, it's a very good point you made. Um, and I do tend to have a fondness for those kinky, sleazy Greek movies. So maybe yep. if I if I reassess it with that in mind, I might you like might it. like it more. There you go. Uh, so then we're almost at the end. He does Voices from Beyond, which I did not like at all. Uh, yeah, it's kind of boring. So obviously, Brianna did the music. Uh, and then his last film that he actually directs is Door to Silence. A lot of people don't like it for some reason. I think this is a great film. Uh, once again, after a long period where he wasn't doing all this shit, he goes mm. back to metaphysics. Now, it's an American shot film. It's shot down like Louisiana. You can feel it. You can feel the heat. You can feel the humidity. You can feel the swampiness. Uh, John Savage, a very bloated John Savage from you know the Deer Hunter, Hay, uh, sorry, Hair, uh, Carnosaur, CIA codename Alexa. You, you see his career going downhill there. Uh, he was in this thing, and Sandy Schultz uh, is this really striking-looking. Uh, I guess she's sort of black girl, uh, and you're wondering is she why is she having why is she popping up everywhere he goes and he's you know basically going from hotel to hotel and driving around these empty towns and you know it, he's trying to escape from what you know from her from I don't know what himself uh, he goes down this rickety old bridge and he figured a car could never do really down home southern type whatevers uh, and of course, it ends up being something more metaphysical. But I really, really like this film, especially as a final statement from the guy. It's like, okay, well, after like you know a decade plus of putting out crap, he finally came back and made a statement that was more along the lines of what he's saying with things like the Beyond. So, uh, you know, I I really do like it. Um, it's one of, especially from the post, you know, nineteen eighty two or three period. It is I consider it his best film of that era. Uh, Wow, <laughs> that's high praise. Um, I actually do like it. Uh, uh, Joe D'Amato produced this. Uh, I think it was, is it a film film arrange film? Yeah, it film might be. Yep, it is a film um, And John Savage, who's, who's somebody around this time period, we did not see much of. Uh, I think it was nominated for an Academy Award for the Deer awesome. Hunter, and then he kind of like disappeared off the face of the earth. Uh, then he showed up in this movie. It's a very Interesting movie. I think I have to agree with you. Yeah. I think everything you said, I concur. Um, and then, sadly enough, John Savage disappeared. <laughs> yeah, he did. And he turned uh, up in this freakish movie, a uh, uh, 2015 movie I saw on Netflix the other night. Oh. <laughs> Very dark been a good movie. one. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Fulci passed on, but... 
not before there were negotiations underway to do a film that would finally pair him with his supposed rival, or media rival, if you will, uh, Dario Argento, which was going to be the wax mask. Uh, the problem was that Fulci, who had basically written the script with Argento, uh, who was supposed to direct, you know, he passed on. So rather than just throw the thing in the garbage, uh, Argento, I guess, passed it on to his former cameraman, uh, Sturgis Tivoletti, who I met him, nice guy, and he was very happy when I told him that. I thought, you know what? You did a good job. I really do like this film. Stivoletti uh, was, was, the, the was the special effects guy. Yeah. Yep, but he was a director now. So that's yeah, the thing. He, yeah. he was always the special effects guy for Argento. Now all of a sudden, he became director, and he did a good job. He um, did a really good job. That's a really. You know, I like that want, movie. Yeah. You want to talk about crossovers? Okay, it was supposed to be Argento Fulci. So here's being directed by Stivaletti, who's Argento's effects guy, right? Yeah. Who's the cinematographer here? Fulci's. Sergio Slovati's on this, doing the cinematography. So, I mean, it all kind of comes around. It's just, unfortunately, Fulci wasn't there to complete it. And, you know, if you compare it to something like when we talked about Argento, uh, you know, Phantom of the Opera, which is a piece of crap, this one actually works. It's a decent movie. It's still a period piece, but I like it. And, you know, it deserves more of a reputation than it has, because everybody's like, oh, it's too bad. It could have been something because Fulci was there. Yeah, exactly. That's what happens with this picture. Yeah, I hear but, that all the fucking time. And I and think that he was shocked yeah. when I told him, I was like, you know, he did a good job. It was a good film. I liked it a lot. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, it was good. I yeah. said the same thing to him, too. I, I The first time I saw him and the second time I saw him, which was like 10 years later, I said, I really like this movie, man. Yeah. He was totally shocked. I, and yeah. I mean, like, genuinely, like, really? You think this is good? I'm like, yeah, I like the one. It's a good film. You did a good job, especially for somebody who is not really, this is like a first-time director. I think yeah. it's the only time he directed anything, to be honest with you, even after that, he didn't do anything. Time. No, he, and, he did a couple things, yeah. Did he? Okay. But it was, it really worked. I mean, yeah, okay, it might have been different if Fulci did it, but look at the kind of films Fulci was doing during this period. It might have been a piece of shit. So it actually yeah. worked out. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, you know. Yeah, uh, it's unlike Argento, and it's unlike Fuji, and yet it's it's a period piece too, mm-hmm. with very Georges Millet kind of Rube Goldberg kind of special effects going on there with like the workings of the 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 wax museum guy. Remember his yep. like whole lab there? Yep. Very nice stuff going there. They really. For, for guys with a limited budget, they really worked hard on this, I think. And it's I like the Rube Goldberg is true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it's sadistic, and, 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 and it's got hot Italian girls. So, yes. I mean, and a really good, uh, who played the, the uh, oh my gosh, the, uh, the protagonist is really the older police chief. Uh, let's see, and, Robert Hossein is in it, and Romina Mugella. Yeah, Robert Hossein was the villain. He was the uh, wax guy. Right. I forgot the name of the guy who played the police chief. He was really, really good because he saved the girl as a uh, as a child. And um, it would be years later when she would turn up and meet this wax uh Guy. Very strange movie. I liked it a lot. Yeah, really good job. Yeah. 
So uh, with apologies to you for running over like we always used to do, and we're trying to do a little bit less now just out of uh, respect for my, co- my co-host here. Uh, <laughs> but it is full cheese, so it's okay, I guess. <laughs> uh, we will close out. Uh, next week, we are going to be starting our season two. So uh, let, me, let me kick in the music, and I'll talk about that. Okay, so thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our little chat on Lucio Fulci. Next week, we begin season two of Weird Seasons at the Goldmine, uh, where we will be talking Doctor Who. Uh, you know, I am a classic Whovian, and uh, Lewis is more of a Nubian, so it should be interesting. I'm sure Sparks will fly. <laughs> uh, and we'll be also be talking to Bill Bags and Big Finish stuff, which time allows. So uh, join us next week for the beginning of season two of Weird Seasons at the Goldmine. Contact us here, comments, suggestions, or you're a filmmaker, musician, and like to join us on the air. Drop us a line at our Facebook page, which is now simplified. www.facebook.com forward slash weird scenes one. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash weird scenes one. See you next week for season two. Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine brought to you by the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> <laughs>